Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Inseths and Time. <laughs> and my name is Super Mario World 2, Eric's Island. The Game Awards just happened, and regardless of what you may think of them, it's become objectively one of the biggest weeks of the gaming year. And everyone is talking about who won and who didn't and, and all of those juicy new announcements. There will be plenty of time for us to do that as well, but the world doesn't revolve around a single award show, and there's been plenty of other happenings in the world of Nintendo worth celebrating this week. Oh, absolutely. Just like in previous years, while other people may have already begun to put their end-of-year lists together, December is once again proving to be home to some really special indie games you won't want to sleep on, including a wonderfully unique 2D platformer from Inkle Studios. Our indie showcase this week is a Highland Song. And speaking of indie games, Day of the Devs returned this week for another fantastic showing that already has us incredibly excited about indie games going into 2024. Today, we're going to count down our top five Nintendo Switch announcements from this week's Day of the Devs presentation. And we also wanted to make sure that the, the weirdness of last week's Beyond Good and Evil 20th Anniversary Remaster announcement doesn't keep people from realizing that anniversary is this weekend. That's right. Beyond Good and Evil originally released in North America on GameCube 20 years ago this weekend. It's a special game, and we're celebrating its 20th birthday right alongside Ubisoft by giving this classic an all-in retrospective. And, I mean, it, you all know already that the real award show is going to be held right here in a few weeks anyway. I mean, so, but uh, let's go ahead and get today's party started in the meantime. It's time. To go all in. That's right, everybody. We are here for another episode, another special edition of All In, a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show, reaching every week, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. Got a fun episode lined mm -hmm. up this week, a post-Game Awards episode, hopefully something to uh, come down with for the, the weekend. Um, I know. As we kind of... Can you believe all of those crazy announcements, Seth? Totally. Can you can you believe that all of those games won in those categories? I can't believe that insert game here won insert category here. <laughs> I know what a shock. Yeah, so we're recording this before the Game Awards, yeah, but you yeah, we all <laughs> have seen the Game Awards by the time you're listening to this. So, Isn't uh, it nuts that Xbox announced <laughs> their purchase of Nintendo? Oh my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> Dude, yeah, that we, actually um, happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have, have already listened to the Game Awards. Hopefully it was a good show. Hopefully everybody's having a, a good weekend. Hopefully, um, you know, all of my, my fellow uh, Jewish listeners out there having a happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah happy started Hanukkah, this week, everybody. So. Yes. Yeah. So that, that started as well. So happy Hanukkah to all of those who observe. Uh, love and appreciate you. But you know who else we love and appreciate here, Eric? Uh, the winner in every category in our hearts, Seth, our patrons. That's right. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. Huge shout outs to the people who support us on Patreon. And we shout you out 
every single week here on the show. Beginning with our Golden Banana Bunch, we need to thank Robbie Apel, Third Strongest Mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad Number 4, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, Foolish Fuji, Alan, Hashtag Look to the Cookie, Patrice Millette, and Solo Something. Big thanks to our Golden Banana Bunch. You can get a seven-day free trial to the Golden Banana tier, join their ranks, get exclusive content, see what all the fuss is about. But moving into our Triforce tier... Need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. John, Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast. The Globetrotting Jet Setting Nintendo Hub and Risk of Rain Returns Playing Sparky <laughs> of the Nintendo Hub over there on YouTube. He caught the bug. Watch out. He caught the bug. <laughs> he caught it, man. Uh, we need to thank Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy Mod Squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Daniel Hinojosa. Dan and Luma, Bowser, the keeper of the hugs and the legend himself. And the nominees this year for greatest human ever are Uncle Randy, Uncle Randy, Uncle Randy, and Uncle Randy. And the winner is <laughs> Uncle Randy. The winner is Uncle Randy. Thank you so much, Uncle Randy. And thank all of you uh, for your continued love and support. We appreciate you all very, very much. Um, you know, again, patreon.com slash all in podcast, a great way to support the show. Uh, and again, there's a seven day free trial over there. You can also pick up some merch. We've got merch at bit.ly slash all in merch, which is another great way to support the show. If you like what you hear and, mm -hmm. um, a totally free way to support the show is by leaving us a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. Um, and huge shout outs to, we, we did get a new uh, five-star rating on Spotify this week. So whoever did that, you know who you are. Thank you very much for doing that. A very quick, free and easy way to support the show. If you listen to us on a platform that allows you to review the show, please do so. Very, very helpful and, uh, and appreciated. Yes. But, um, with all that out of the way, my friend, what has been going on in your world this week? Been a big week. Been a big week. Yeah. Not gonna lie. I, I finally, finally, finally started Sea of Stars. Mm. Obviously, we're coming into the final few weeks of 2023. You and I take our own end of your awards incredibly seriously. So there were a couple games I knew I absolutely had to finish before we do that. And Sea of Stars was chief among them. This has been a game that I've been meaning to get around to for some time. And as a matter of fact, they just dropped a massive patch for it uh, this week. And I've got to say, man, I really, 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 I, I think three is enough right now before I'm done with the game. I really, really, really like this game. If uh, it, it absolutely, I mean, you've already played it, so you already know this, but for those who haven't, it is a game that screams from the mountaintops. Hey, do you guys like Super Mario RPG? Hey, are you a fan of Chrono Trigger? And honestly, like there were a couple times where I felt like just felt the same way that I did when I was playing Chrono Trigger for the first time. I, I adored quite a bit. I'm currently at the 
uh, the part where you know the 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 underwater thing where you go to the tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I did. I wanted to. I did want to make it more more specific the than that village or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, so I'm there. I'm pretty far into the game, and I'm nah, enjoying you think it. That. <laughs> hey, hey, if it keeps going, if it keeps going, I am more than happy with it. The game's it. longer than you think. The game's I like I will say the game's quite a bit longer. Like you like you think you're pretty far, you you might be a third of the way into the game. You think so, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I was looking at my level. I felt pretty deep into the game, but I was like, at, I'm still at level 10. I'm like, man, these level ups are fairly fairly few and far between in this game but i mean the scaling it's a full, looks pretty well it is a full length rpg yeah and and i'm enjoying every minute of it so far i enjoyed quite a bit and i'm sure you are going to be hearing us talk about that game several times in the future so i didn't want to say too too much about it but very happy that uh, i'm finally getting the chance Glad to sit you like down it. and yeah. play it myself yeah i really really like it so look forward to uh more Sea of Stars content in the future that is absolutely going to get its own indie showcase at some point and maybe even a shout out here at our own end of year awards. But that, that really has not been the only thing that I've been into this week. As a matter of fact, a couple days ago, I uh, played a game that I haven't played in, in several years. Got online, was invited to to play some Super Mario 3D World online with our good friend Mute Dog. Thank you, Mute Dog, nice. once again for coming on and hosting a top five with me a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I guess uh, we, we did top five uh, top five changes, top five additions to Nintendo game remasters and our shared number one in that spoilers. If you haven't already checked out the top five, uh, but our shared number one from that list was Bowser's Fury from the Super Mario 3D World Switch version. So I guess it just got him really wanting to play the game a little bit more. He was essentially just trying to, to 100% the game, trying to go around and clean up stamps and green stars and and gold flags and stuff like that but i was more than happy to run around and you know play through some of the levels and help him get those stars and help him get those flagpoles we we had a ton of fun so thank you again for for that invitation mute dog really nice to be able to go back and and revisit such i mean it's weird to call a mario game underrated but as far as mario games go i do actually still think 3d world is fairly underrated in most people's really? eyes really Hmm. I really like it. I really like it. I mean, it. I love it too. I don't know if I think yeah. it's underrated, but it, it it's, I mean, it's a great game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so got to play that also, also, also uh, checked out some of the new vampire survivors content. They just added that white out uh, new winter content. <laughs> you know, turns out that's not the only new content coming soon, but you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, going back in and, and trying to, you know, talking about trying to 100% Mario 3D World, going back in and I'm trying to 100% Vampire Survivors. There's a ridiculous amount of unlockables and stuff to get mm-hmm. in that game. I actually rolled credits, like straight up rolled credits. I think I finally beat the game, question mark, this past <laughs> week. I If you've ever played Vampire Survivors, I don't know if there is such a thing as 
beating the game, but there was this hilarious little enemy parade at the bottom of the screen kind of reminded me of something like, uh, like risk of rain returns or like donkey Kong country where they, or even super Mario world where they do kind of right. an enemy roll call during the credits. That's right. Yeah. They got something. I got something like that in vampire survivors. So I'm like, I think I've beaten it now officially. Not like I'm done playing it. Uh, especially with uh, the few more reasons we're going to have in the near future to come back to it. But yeah, jumped into that. And turns out the game is still good, Seth. Turns out Vampire Survivors, still a fun time. Really, really enjoyed that. Uh, But talking of fun new content being added to really great games that came out on the Nintendo Switch this year, another game that I went back to is Power Wash Simulator. Wanted to jump back into the uh, the Back to the Future content of Power Wash Simulator. And yeah, it's exactly, if you know anything about the game, it's exactly what you think it is. You get to go in there and you get to Power Wash Doc Brown's van. And of course, the DeLorean, uh, the clock tower from the first game. And uh, there's five new stages added for the Back to the Future content. The Warhammer 40K Content was delayed on, uh, into next year for all of you Warhammer fans. But yeah, you got SpongeBob content now. You got that awesome Final Fantasy VII content in there that you and I actually played online together. You and I cleaned the Scorpion tank together in Power Wash Simulator, yeah. which was a ton of fun. That video is up on the YouTube channel. But uh, yeah, I've, I really, really enjoyed the or am really enjoying the Back to the Future content. The, uh, the premise is... You're actually on the set of the movie. They don't try to play it off necessarily. Like you're conversing with Marty and Doc Brown. They play it up as if, you know, this is the movie and you're cleaning the props and everything. That being said, there is some weird stuff that happens. It's not just you get to the end, like you finish cleaning the DeLorean and then that's just the end of the mission. There is some cool, fun stuff that happens afterwards. Uh a certain 88 mile per hour uh, event might trigger and you, you may even be able to douse the flames after that, which is, which is hilarious (laughs) and amazing. I will say one quick little Easter egg is if you know the, the kind of weird wetsuit, the, the weird kind of uh, almost hazmat like suit that the power wash character wears there is a funny little there's a funny little back and forth like hey we really like that suit could we borrow it for the movie there's a couple scenes we (laughs) think so if you know if you know what that's a reference to i thought that was a a really fun little insert but yeah going back and i'm I'm still having fun with power wash simulator turns out that is also a really really fun game to go back to still i'll briefly shout out uh pinball fx uh, I there were the the DreamWorks movies pinball tables were all on sale, so I finally picked those up. So I actually spent several hours in Pinball FX this week playing the How to Train Your Dragon pinball table, which is a a weirdly great pinball table. It's a nice. really good pinball table. The Kung weirdly Fu Panda great ta- movies. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's I actually. <laughs> I actually stopped. I played Pinball FX for a couple hours and actually stopped playing the pinball table. The pinball table was so good. I actually stopped. It actually made me want to watch the movie. So I jumped onto Peacock and actually watched How to Train Your Dragon just because nice. of Pinball FX. The Turns first out, 
yeah, the first one. Turns out that movie is still a hundred times better than it has any right to be. It's still an amazing movie. Uh, I absolutely love that. Gerard Butler and Craig Ferguson. And of course, uh, um, oh man, Jay Baruchel. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that movie's so good. But yeah, playing the pinball tables made me want to go back and actually watch the movie. So did that. Uh, I've never seen the Trolls movies, but there's a halfway decent pinball table on there for them. The Kung Fu Panda table isn't as kind of hit or miss, but they also added nine brand new tables to pinball FX this week, including I think some wow. Star Trek stuff, some uh, some Charlie Brown stuff. So if you're a pinball aficionado, check those out. We've got Pinball M coming at the uh, the end of the month. So so I'm you know us ten pinball fans on Nintendo Switch, we're eating well this month. Uh, and lastly, the last one I'm going to shout out real quick is uh, a Highland song. Uh, that also came out this week. Huge thank you to the developer, to the publisher for the code. But I'm not going to be talking about that too much because we are going to be talking about it later on in the Indie Showcase. And I really shouldn't be talking about it too much because Seth, the, Seth is the one who did the video for it for our YouTube channel. Yeah, there is a video on the YouTube channel. And yeah, we'll be we'll be covering that in much more detail here in just a second um, for the Indie Showcase. We'll we'll save that for then. Um, but yeah, also have been playing a bunch of we we sort of alluded to it. We got it a while ago, so um, we've been we've been lucky enough to uh to be you know, we we've had a little bit of time with the game, so yep. we'll we'll share our thoughts uh, you know, pretty soon. Um, you know, spoilers, we liked it. It's worthy of an indie showcase, so we we definitely want to tell you all about it. Um, I'll be quick with mine. I, uh, so I've, I've put a bunch of stuff up on the YouTube channel this week. We streamed yep. some Arkham Asylum cause I did pick up the Batman Arkham trilogy and, uh, we streamed some Arkham Asylum for like four hours, uh, like Monday or Tuesday night or something like that. And, um, that was a lot of fun. Arkham Asylum and Arkham city run great, um, on the switch. They're, you know, good. I mean, Arkham Asylum kind of gets choppy in some spots but it's very playable like no complaints it's been great to go back you know and, and play that game uh still completely holds up we actually did a big like arkham series kind of episode of side quest uh one of our patreon exclusive shows this week on side quest so that was a lot of fun um so it's been <laughs> yeah, kind of we'll like we talked at length about that series that turned into a much longer episode than i think we were planning <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been kind of nice to be like between doing that, we did a Batman themed top five last week, and then yep. like, you know, just kind of playing a bunch of like Batman Arkham Asylum uh, via the Arkham trilogy. It's been fun to kind of be in a little bit of a Batman uh, space right now. Arkham Knight runs like garbage uh, on Switch. <laughs> There's just no two ways about it. Um, I also, I put up a video on the YouTube channel playing that for like 45 minutes, and I really wanted to like... Um, I really wanted to just show that game, not like a vertical slice, not like a little 30 second video on Twitter. I wanted to be like, here it is raw uncut. This is what the game is on switch. And it's not good. Um, in some ways it is impressive that they have it up there at all, that the game like runs even as well as it does run. Um, but in other ways, like there are, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to call it unplayable. Like I'm seeing a lot of other people do, but um, there are, Certain things, the biggest thing about Arkham Knight on Switch is the the frame rate, the frame pacing does make it 
like very hard. Like it would be one thing if the game was just ugly, if the game just had like low res textures or whatever, and it does, um, that would be one thing. But the frame pacing makes the entire game feel so weird and jittery. Like when you're on foot, when you're gliding through the air in the open world, and especially when you're in the Batmobile, which is a major component of that game, it kind of feels like when you're playing an online game and there's like rubber banding, like you're kind of lagging and like you you take a, a, a step forward and then like a step back kind of thing. It's doing that constantly when you're playing Arkham Knight on Switch, unfortunately. Um, I'm hopeful that they do like an optimization patch. I'm hopeful that, you know, they get the game in a, a more workable state uh, anyways on Switch, but as it stands, it's really hard to recommend. If you're coming into it wanting to play Arkham Knight specifically, I would not recommend the Batman Arkham Trilogy. You can check out my video if you want to see it for yourself. Um, but if you look at it, from the perspective that I looked at it, the way I saw it, the only games I really wanted to play on my Switch anyway were Asylum and City. Mm-hmm. And those two run great. So if you look at it from the perspective of I'm basically paying 30 bucks a piece for a Switch port of Asylum and City, then, you know, you could maybe justify it in your head that way, the way that I did. So I've I've um, got to imagine. I've got to imagine at some point they'll break them down into their edge of it, even if they do wind up charging 30 bucks a piece for the individual, I've got to imagine they will wind up offering them individually at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird there right now. The only way to get them is to buy the whole trilogy. So, and then, you know, I shouted this out in the episode of side quest, but I'll just mention it here too. If you have a PlayStation or an Xbox, you can get them for like dirt cheap. Like you can buy, I, I actually went on my PlayStation after we did that episode of side quest just yeah. to make sure that I had the whole trilogy, uh, you know, bought on my PlayStation digitally and you can get the entire trilogy for five ninety nine. Like it's so, I mean, it's dirt cheap. So you should just do that. Frankly, if you have a way to play it on PlayStation, but in any case, um, it's been fun. It's been fun to, to go back to those. Um, I also uh, streamed SteamWorld Build a little bit this week. The yes. stream unfortunately got cut a little bit short because um, I was having like some weird issues with uh, with YouTube. Um, like my, my uh, bit rate was going all over the place. So I ended up having to... I only ended up streaming for about two hours, but... Um, I, uh, I want to send a big thanks to Thunderful who gave us the code for that. And, uh, you know, I loved the demo. I'm a big SteamWorld fan. So I was really kind of curious to see how this game was going to run on Switch. They've got it running great. Uh, the game, you know, is running pretty much perfectly on Switch. I've got no performance complaints. You can tell there's like a visual downgrade. Um, but since this is like a city builder game, it doesn't really matter because like, the vast majority of the time you have such a pulled out, you know, sort of isometric perspective anyway, it kind of like, you're barely ever going to get like close up enough to notice that it looks worse, you know? Um, so they, they've got this thing running really smooth on switch. Um, really cool, really fun. We, uh, we streamed some of that. We started up our new, uh, our, our new steam world city, um, that is named steamy cheese. Uh, so that's the name of our city. It's the, uh, the cheese. If if you know anything about like <laughs> Seth's stream history, everything it all comes back to cheese, ladies and gentlemen. Anytime some, we can name it, something at on some stream. point or another, 
I, I think I still think the peak is your your playthrough of Live Alive and the different names that you gave the characters. Yeah, all the characters had various uh, you Colby know cheese Jack names. Kid. <laughs> yeah, the Colby Jack Kid was one of them. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, that was all that that started. Phelan was the one that started that. the The first time I I streamed with something that allowed me to change my name, I think it was Ocarina of Time, and Phelan was like, "Just name him Cheese," and it just sort of stuck. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, the city of steamy cheese is now a uh, thriving, um, thriving, maybe, maybe a loose term, but the city of steamy cheese exists within steam world build. And I'm happy to report that the game, uh, you know, runs great on switch. Um, and I would recommend people check it out. Like the, you know, the thing with the steam world games, like they just have a way of taking a genre that I normally would not care about or be interested in and making it palatable and fun. Um, so anyways, yeah, check it out. You can watch the stream VOD on our YouTube channel. If you want to see how the game is running, uh, for yourself, it's running great. SteamWorld build really, really good. Um, nice. I want to shout out born of bread, uh, which we also yes. got a code for. So big thanks to the, uh, the publisher for that. Hopefully there's a YouTube video either, out now by the time you're you're listening to this or soon if not i did cover the demo of the switch version on our youtube channel when uh when that came out but in any case i'm probably going to be streaming this too in the near future um born of bread is like a paper mario style um rpg and it's excellent like born of bread is this is one of those like you know we 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 preach this all the time the reason we wait until the year is done to do the golden aces is because like so many people are doing their end of year awards before the year is over. And there are good games coming out in December, you know, like really good stuff between Steamworld build born of bread and a Highland song. Like these are three really great games that have already dropped in December. So like y'all are really jumping the gun. It, it blows my mind when I see people doing it. It's like, oh, it's December. We've got to put out all of our year year of or end of year lists. And it, like it was especially pronounced a couple of years ago when we knew Chicory, you know, yeah. was was dropping. I know we didn't get a lot of of lead time on that, but yeah, Chicory dropped toward the end of December a couple of years ago, and I actually saw a lot of people go back and amend and actually edit their end of year stuff. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, this also came out too. It's amazing. You should definitely check it out. That's why yeah. we wait. Yeah, wait until we'll do it. You know, we'll do our Golden Aces Awards you know, first week of January, and we'll wait for the year to actually be done before we call it um so details on that will will come soon we still need to iron out everything we're doing for that but we uh but the golden aces are coming uh soon and yeah. you know games like born of bread are exactly why we wait because it's like yeah like i could see something like this being nominated for something um yeah. they've got this game it looks and runs beautifully well on switch it's got all of that kind of classic paper mario turn-based you know sort of flavor you're looking for great characters, great writing. Um, looking forward to getting deeper into it. And again, looking forward to like streaming it and showing it off on the, on the YouTube channel even more. So big thanks to the publishers who, uh, who gave us a code for that. And then the last thing I'll just shout out really quickly is Fortnite. Um, I've been playing Fortnite this week, which is kind of weird. Cause like Fortnite, I've had a couple of little stints with it, but I got to say, man, this new season of Fortnite is insane. Like 
the things that they're doing with this new season, it's not just, you know, the things that excite people about Fortnite a lot of the time are, oh, this character is in yeah. Fortnite now, or this crossover, or whatever. That's one thing. And they are, like, this season of Fortnite does have some crazy stuff. The thing that, like, got like me M&M. to pay attention to it. <laughs> well, M- Eminem is, yeah, is is in it. They finally did the meme, and they put Peter Griffin in it. So, there's that, that whole meme has now been realized. Um, but coming later this month, the thing that perked my ears up about it was Solid Snake is coming to Fortnite. And, you know... If there was ever going to be like the, the the list of characters that I would actually pay money to play in Fortnite is very short, but Solid Snake is on that list. So currently, the only time I've ever spent money on Fortnite was to get Boba Fett, and the second time will be to get Solid Snake. So, <laughs> um, really cool that they're doing all of that. There's some really cool stuff, and there's even been like some even crazier. Like we know that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are coming. Yep. Yeah. Um, they like actually look pretty real, good. I'll give it to them. They look pretty good. They look great. Yeah, they look great. And then there's there's more like Dragon Ball content being added to the game as well, it seems like. So that stuff is cool. But that is really just the tip of the iceberg with this season of Fortnite. They've added three whole new, entirely different modes to the game. One of them is a full collaboration with Lego. Lego Fortnite. Yeah. And yep. they like they literally made Lego Fortnite. Like it's it's Fortnite, but they've changed the mechanics of the game to fit the mold of Lego. And they have made, I think, like close to or maybe even over a thousand skins of Lego characters for the game. Like, I saw somebody post, like, this is actually like the biggest Lego game, technically, of all time in terms of characters and stuff. It's crazy. Like, I have Boba Fett. I can get Lego Boba Fett in Fortnite. <laughs> like,. It's insane, dude. And that's just one of the modes. Another mode they did is Rocket Racing, which is a Rocket League racing spinoff that they actually got Psyonix, the developers of Rocket League, to make. Just as a mode in Fortnite. We just have Rocket League racing in there now. Sure. Why not? Um, They also have, it hasn't been added into the game yet, but because they're rolling these out kind of over the course of the next few weeks, but um, a rhythm game coming up called Fortnite Festival that they got Harmonix to develop. The creators of Guitar Hero and Rock Band um, just made a rhythm game that is just going to be in Fortnite now, which is like, it's mind blowing. I mean, like Fortnite is the biggest game in the world for a reason. And this new season is really like taking it to another level um, to the point where like, it's kind of become impossible to ignore. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be like the super hardcore Fortnite player, but man, you just have to give all the respect in the world to what they're doing with that game. It is unbelievable. So yeah, been playing some of that mostly on my PlayStation. It is full like cross save and cross play. So like I have it on my switch, but nine times out of 10, I'm playing it on my PlayStation. But um, man, Fortnite is like, really going for it this season. Shout outs to Fortnite. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if you've been on the fence about like trying Fortnite, the game's free. So like it, it honestly, like now's the time to give Fortnite a look between the totality of everything they have in Fortnite. There's probably something in there that speaks to you. Um, just what an impressive game. What an incredible achievement Fortnite is just objectively. Um, anyways, with all that being said, uh, that's pretty much what I've been up to this week. Uh, let's 
go into our indie showcase because as Eric kind of mentioned, um, we have a Highland song that is a really special little game that we wanted to make sure that we highlighted uh, this week on the show. It's uh, got a lot to say about like Scottish culture, kind of like uh, shining a light on an underrepresented culture in video games. And uh, it's also like a really unique and well-made game that we're we we really want to make sure that you guys as like lovers of independent games that we know that our audience is um we want to make sure that it's on your radar so our indie showcase this week is a highland song so a highland song is the latest game from inkle a uk-based developer that i have uh, a lot of affinity for we've talked about 80 days on the show we've talked about uh overboard on the show they're also well known for their game uh heaven's vault which i actually haven't played but but i want to um they're they're a pretty interesting developer that makes really interesting and unique games and uh highland song is no different we also want to send a huge thanks to the the game's publisher who uh, provided us a code uh to check this out we got it way early actually we 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 ended yeah. up getting it uh we we ended up getting it after it was announced at the indie world showcase basically right after so we've had this game for several weeks it just came out on the nintendo switch uh it is actually on a launch window discount as well so just right at the top if you are interested in it um you can pick it up at a 10 percent discount uh until the 12th so just be aware of that there is also if you want to see what the game looks like in motion a video on our youtube channel uh, of myself playing a little bit of the game to, to kind of showcase it and show you what it's like. But it's a really cool and unique game, very much in line with Inkle's design philosophies. And to be honest with you, I don't think the trailers do this game justice. I don't think the trailers illustrate how interesting Highland Song actually is. Well, the trailers, this is a very seemingly very straightforward kind of 2D uh, I guess Metroidvania style platformer. Uh, the the trailers made it seem pretty cool, but the big draw for the trailers for me was that amazing kind of Scottish folk soundtrack with that violin absolutely going in in the background. And we saw, you know, we saw the the main character Moira, uh, Moira McKinnon, running back and forth and jumping across rocks and and different debris and different, uh, you know landscape features and we saw a few things which looked to be rhythm-based sections but aside from that we didn't really know too much about the stuff that we were actually going to encounter in the game and i was very pleasantly surprised at the the number of distractions and the number of things that i found that you could do and uh kind of the the weird pace and the the very intentional uh kind of the deliberateness that this game kind of forces upon you. Yeah. Uh, It, there's a lot of very, very interesting choices. And I was, I did kind of come into this game expecting to expected for something with, you know, a little bit quicker pace because there is actually a time limit. The game does impose this, uh, the game does kind of impose this countdown on you to get to your end goal. So I would have thought that the game itself would have allowed you to to kind of blow through it a little bit quicker, but that's not really what this game is about. So I've kind of had to reckon with that a little bit, not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, 
But uh, this game does some interesting things. Yeah, the the time limit that that you're you're sort of referring to the the setup of the game. This character Moira, she's a 15 year old girl who receives a letter from her uncle Hamish saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, leave home and come and meet me on my lighthouse on the coast uh, in time for Beltane. Uh, Beltane is a Gaelic festival that kind of marks the beginning of the summer solstice. Kind of like you know, if you're familiar with like May Day, that sort of thing. That's what Beltane is. It marks the beginning of summer, and um. And Moira, you know, kind of sneaks off and and leaves home and makes her way through the Scottish Highlands and has to go through quite a lot in order to make it to Uncle Hamish's lighthouse in time for Beltane. And um, you're going to you're going to have to deal with the literal natural elements. The game's got a lot of survival game mechanics to it. You're going to have to deal with navigation, um, a lot of puzzle solving and clues and stuff like that. But yeah, it is also counting down the days until Beltane. Um, But the really interesting thing about this game and the way that it sort of reminds me of a lot of Inkle's other games, most notably 80 Days, is like, while that, that outcome is there. That is your goal. That is what you're trying to do. The game is very much um, incentivized for replay. Uh, this game is not meant to be played one and done. You play through it and you put it down. And if you don't get to the lighthouse in time for Beltane, maybe something different happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, hands you know, up. That was me. <laughs> yeah, so like you, you know, you don't necessarily you know, have like a quote unquote fail state in the traditional sense. Um, and their games are really good about that. And I have played through the game twice and the outcomes have been very different. The things that you can see and do depending on your like pathway through the game can be way, way, way different. It really, it feels like you're going to need to play through this game to see like most of it you're going to need to do several playthroughs. Um, and yeah. I imagine that the little differences are even more, um, are even more broad, you know, the little teeny tiny changes that can be made depending on your actions. So it's really neat. Yeah. From a gameplay perspective on its base level, you are shown this kind of cascading background of peaks and ridges uh, that you can continue to move into the foreground uh, on toward your quest to get to the beach. And the thing is, on each individual plane, there are quite a few things that you can probably find and run into on that. One of the things that you're going to be running into a lot are just kind of random items. You're going to come across uh, you know, like little boxes that uh, maybe you need to have found a different item even to be able to open. You come across the, like razor blades and seashells and and all manner of different little knickknack discoveries that might actually play a role in your traversal, that might actually play a role in your movement through the game. And there's a ton of different little fun little discoveries that you can make. You may find yourself going inside of a cave you may find yourself going across a massive dam you may find some some uh some old abandoned cottages out in the scottish highlands that you can use to take shelter from the actual elements like i don't know if this i don't know how real world this is but i will say 
It rained a lot in in my Scottish Highlands. I don't know about you, Seth. <laughs> it rain, rains a lot in the real Scottish Highlands. It's that's uh, what I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rainy place. Like that's kind of the whole. You know, it's like overcast. You know, all the time and um and rainy and you know, there's a lot of like little things you have to contend with. Yeah, with with wind and rain and um you have like a stamina bar that needs to be managed. You know, I, I, I said this to you, I said this in the discord, I think I even said it in my video, but, um, this is kind of like a 2d death stranding in a lot of ways. Like you, in the way that you have to really like think about the actual environment that you're engaging with, the, the deliberate way that you have to make your way through like harsh terrain in this game. Like I did not think that that's what this game was. It's a really interesting, uh, sort of thing. And there's a ton of like little teeny tiny interactions and, yeah. you know, things you can do and items Constant. you can pick up. It's a lot. Like there's, there's so much like you're not, you know, it's not just as simple as I need to get, you know, from, from A to B. There are a lot of letters, you know, sort of in between. Um, and there's a lot of different directions you can go. Um, and it's really all about like across multiple playthroughs, like, yeah, how quickly can you get there or not? What will you find along the way? How will you survive the, the elements and the things that the obstacles that are in front of you? So yeah, there's a lot. Seth, Seth uses the word survive and there is actually a health bar and yep. you can lose your health. I will say if this is something you're worried about, this is not a game that you need to necessarily worry about the, the visual aspect of, of that fail state, because even if you lose all your health, it's, it's treated in a very family friendly way. There's no even remotely, you know, graphic depiction of this young girl coming to right. any harm. Uh, she does need to stop and catch her breath very frequently, but if you lose your health, if you lose all your health, the screen just kind of blacks out a little bit and you go back to a, a previous kind of pseudo checkpoint. Um, so even though there are kind of miniature fail states and, you know, you will kind of have to respawn at checkpoints, the only like true fail state on my first playthrough, actually, uh, I fell victim to probably one of the biggest drawbacks in the game. And that is uh, because this journey takes place over multiple days, you occasionally need to find a place to bed down for the evening. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately you don't always have the luxury of uh, you don't always have the luxury of consequently running across some abandoned shack in the Scottish Highlands. Sometimes you may actually have to bed down just underneath some trees or possibly even inside of a cave on top of some hard rocks. There's a mechanic in this game where the more uncomfortable you bed down, you will actually lose stamina and maximum health throughout the course of this you know, six day plus journey that you're on in this game. And I actually lost essentially all, but the last little sliver of, I had no max health left, no max stamina. I was effectively stuck in the game because I was at a place where there were just high enough hills around me on both sides. I basically couldn't move. So yeah, I don't know if it was, it wasn't necessarily like a traditional soft lock, but I did actually have to kind of end my run 
there. So you, you <laughs> it's a different kind of resource management, but there is some of that going on. So do be aware of that. You will lose your, your max health uh, if you, you know, if you try to overexert yourself and, uh, you know, try to, to push yourself too hard. So there, there's, there's some unique stuff going on that definitely gave me food for thought on subsequent playthroughs. Yeah. You have to, I mean, you have to learn how to play the game. You've got to learn how to speak its language. You have to learn like, you know, what, what the game sort of expects of you. And in that way, um, it does sort of make you feel like you're in the shoes of this, you know, of this 15 year old girl who's in over her head. Um, and you really you know, feel that, especially on your first time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I had a similar experience to you where, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't realize how big of a deal, like, yeah, the quality of sleep that you get is, is quite important actually. And yeah. so on my first run through, I had a similar experience where I had to just sleep under some trees, lost a lot of health. Yep. My options for the next day were, were quite limited. Um, yep. and then on my second playthrough, um, which is documented in the video I did on the YouTube channel, um, I went a little bit ahead, whereas on my first playthrough, I found this campsite that had already been sort of, you know, stomped out and rained out for the day. Um, on my second playthrough, I found the campsite active with like an NPC there and had a whole conversation and sort of like, you know, he pointed me in the direction of like a nearby shelter. And, um, again, that's just one small example of how very different your playthroughs could go. I also could have opted to rest at the campfire with that person. I chose not to cause he was a stranger, but I could have done that. Stranger danger, know? man. I get it. Stranger yeah. danger. So, I mean, there's a lot of like little things that can, you know, that can change depending on, you know, your, your choices. There's a, like, you're constantly making tiny choices that can pretty, you know, dramatically alter what happens. Yeah. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about the game that really add to the permutations is among all of these different little interesting things that you can find just randomly out in the highlands, be it, you know, these like a weird small graveyard or be it, you know, a deer out frolicking across the, the hills. One of the most interesting things you can find are these kind of weird map pieces that right. give you hints. So, you know, some of them will be in the form of like travel brochures. Some of them will be in the form of like love letters from, uh, you know, a young boy to uh, his, you know, to his uh, would be uh, would be lady love says so like hey meet me here there's a secret passageway in between these two trees and there are a lot of different little map pieces you can find that will help you discover secret paths that open up according to the game up to hundreds of different permutation routes to get to your end goal so there's a ton of different paths that you can wind up taking and a ton of secret little shortcuts that you can take across these highlands that also heavily encourage replayability. The speed running community for this game is going to be wild. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be the kind of thing where once you're really, I mean, it's really similar to 80 days in that way. I, I have put a ton of time into 80 days and it's to the point where I know that game well enough to where I could get around the world in a lot less than 80 days. Right. Yeah. So, um, this, you know, this game has a kind of similar thing where once you understand, once you know, once you have like these sort of gift of earned knowledge on subsequent playthroughs, you could get 
you know, to to Uncle Hamish's lighthouse, presumably well before Beltane happens. Um, but like the the journey, I think, is so much more important than the destination in this regard, because another thing that's really kind of cool about this game is like the sheer amount of like Scottish culture that Dude. is oh, all it's my over it. Favorite part about this game. Um, the Seth and I have been t- talking a little bit about this aspect of the title. There are several like cultures out there that just feel criminally underrepresented within the world of video games. I really felt like the Indian culture was one of those before games like Raji and Vinba and, you know, thirsty suitors came out. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think about the Scottish Highlands. I think about movies like Braveheart and and Brave and, uh, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't make that correlation until now, but uh, there's such a rich kind of like old folksy storyteller kind of vibe here, because in addition to running to, into all these things yourselves, a lot of these discoveries you're going to make are, be, are going to be accompanied by these wonderfully quaint, well-performed voiceover uh, clips that really helps sell the culture, really helps sell this this huge area that you're running across. These aren't just maps that you're traversing as a player. These are, you know, this is Lock Peak, and this is this specific uh, area that has all of this historical cultural significance, and this is why this place is important, and this is why this place means so much to the people who live here. It really feels... At least, you know, to a dumb American outsider really feels like I'm getting a sense, like I'm actually traversing Scotland. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a game that loves this culture, that the, every rock and tree has history and meaning to it. You know, this is a game that really allows you to feel that, which is which is great. Um, and, and, you know, like you, yeah, you learn a lot about this kind of stuff when playing the game without it ever like feeling like or needing to stop and say like this is an educational game or whatever like it it is teaching you very organically about this culture that you might not be super familiar with and if you are super familiar with then i imagine you feel quite seen um by this game it's it's really it's really cool the visual style of the game uh goes a long way with it the sort of like painterly backgrounds uh, met with the the way the character models are sort of these like hand drawn yeah. like pencil sketch almost looking things. Yeah, when I it's really when you cool. say when you say hand drawn, I think a lot of people immediately think of things like you know uh, Wario Land Shake It or you know some of the Way Forward games, Boy and His Blob. You know more cartoonish style games. This isn't necessarily like a bright and bouncy cartoon. This almost feels like a children's book, like something that LeVar Burton would have read to us in the early '90s. You know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's got the the sort of like it, it's quite juxtaposed the art styles. The yeah. um. You know, like 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 I said, the the environments are very painterly, very sort of like almost watercolor looking. Um, where whereas, yeah, the the character models kind of stand out much more against it. They're moving, you know, a lot. There's a lot of like sort of you know pencil kind of look to the thing. It looks a little like more rough. Like if you're comparing this to something like yeah, you mentioned like a way forward game. Like those those games are much more clean looking. Than this, this feels a lot more like handmade, I guess, um, which is which is really cool. I will say 
if I have a major complaint about the game, um, my only like big, big complaint that, that I did find myself bumping into quite a lot was because the game's backgrounds, beautiful as they are, are like painted and everything. It can sometimes, at least for me, be hard to tell what is like a walkable surface or not. Um, Because the game is also kind of like a 2.5D thing where you have to think about like kind of jumping in and out of like the like sort of lanes, like the, the different hills and mountains and stuff. And sometimes it can be hard to tell if that is like a hill that I can jump on and walk on or not. And I did take a couple of falls that way. Yeah. Uh, there are like the, the game tries to give you a few visual cues about slopes or um, like, if you see one that seems like really rocky, well, that's, that's a terrible way to put it. But if you see one that looks like, uh, it's it's a bunch of small rocks kind of sliding down a hill. That was kind of the visual shorthand the game used to, to show a slope or, you know, a hill that the character couldn't go up. And yeah, there's all of these, you know, jumping into the foreground onto other hills right behind you, especially when the elements, the wind and the rain and the kind of visual acuity that that begins to impact, it can start to, it can really start to impact how well you can, take in your environment which you know is intended in that regard because you know it's it's another one of those things where uh you know you're venturing out when you probably should be hunkering down uh but yeah there's there's a couple things that i ran into in in terms of that i at the end of the day you know it's there's annoyances but i just I kind of chalk it up to like, well, this is, you know, my first couple runs. I'm still trying to learn the map, still trying to figure this game out. Uh, And, you know, just like Moira, I'm trying to learn from my mistakes and get better for next time. Yeah. The the other like big component to the game, and this is another sort of, you know, um, statement on on the culture is the music. The music's a huge part. So good. Um, Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's really good. And it is. You know, the game, the the title of the game and, like, the trailers for the game would have you think that this is, like, a rhythm platformer. It's not really as much as, like, there are just some sections where you do some rhythm platforming. Um, and they're really, they're all really cool. Great set pieces with incredible music. Um the music is done by a uh, a Scottish, you know, uh, a fairly like prolific Scottish uh, composer. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess multi award winning Scottish folk composers Talisk and Fourth Moon did the uh, the music, and like it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful traditional kind of Gaelic Scottish style music with guitars and strings and violins and you know banjos and all the rest it's beautiful beautiful stuff that feels very you know traditional and rhythmic um but yeah you're having to basically time jumps to little like glowing points on the surface as you're running alongside like a deer um and kind of traversing like a, a large amount of distance while sprinting through that i will say that they have done a lot with the gameplay to to give what would normally feel like a very constrictive, very basic gameplay engine. They've done a lot to, to give it a fresh feel, to give a lot of variety to the gameplays. Sometimes you're going to be, uh, you're going to be worried more about 
the elements. You're going to be worried more about just trying to find some shelter. Sometimes it's going to feel a lot more explorative. Sometimes it feels more like pure platforming. Sometimes, you know, you're going to have those rhythm-based sections. So there is a lot of variety, even though you're basically just running left and right and jumping the entire time. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I do really like that. But in terms of the rhythm-based sections, this game does something. It's it's the first thing that the game does before you even get to the main menu. And I, this is an idea that every rhythm game from now until the end of time needs to adopt. It actually lets you calibrate the rhythm sections to yourself. It actually right. puts you through a very brief kind of rhythm section. And instead of grading you, it calibrates that rhythm section to when you press the button. And then that's how it judges you from then on. And you can recalibrate the rhythm section at any time. So it's not another rhythm game to where you kind of have to, it's not something to where you have to adopt their idea of when you need to press a button or their idea of when you need to, to hit on the rhythm, especially for a, you know, a terribly tone deaf, out of sync, offbeat person like me. You know, it was really nice that I could say, it's like, well, I see the beat hits now, and this is when I'm hitting the button. And the game's like, okay, we're going with that. Yeah. So I think uh, every rhythm game from now on needs to adopt that. A lot of modern rhythm games do. Um, I Like, I would say 99% of modern rhythm games allow for that. But this game... Um, like to, to your point, it is nice that this game like opens with that section before you do anything else. You, you are allowed to sort of like, there's no stopgap. There's no like, Oh, I've got to go into the options menu and change this and stuff like that. It's, it's nice that like they establish that kind of right away. Um, so that the rest of the game can feel kind of immersive. Like once you get that, you know, sort of, uh, figured out for yourself. So I do like that too. Um, it's always good, you know, always good to give some accessibility and to, you know, allow players to calibrate to, uh, to what feels right for them. So, yeah. Yep. But yeah, the, 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 the rhythm sections are really where that soundtrack gets to shine. Uh, if you are able to get it on steam, there is a bundle that includes the game and the soundtrack. So, yeah. Uh, do be aware of that this soundtrack is definitely one that I'll probably be picking up separately. I enjoyed it that much. Uh, uh, again, just the violins and the folksy, uh, just it really felt like some type of period movie. The the, the yeah. music is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And I an- another sort of thing that that I really appreciate about this game is like. You know, we, we've talked about how much it deals with, like, the Scottish culture and stuff and, like, uh, even extending to, like, folklore. And um, while the game doesn't go, like, too crazy on, like, full supernatural, you know, elements or whatever necessarily, um, one thing that is kind of cool is, like, because you are, you're playing as a 15-year-old girl who is just kind of learning about this world through the stories that she's been told... Um, there are a couple of little like moments in the game where you're kind of like, oh, like, is this just kind of the dream or imagination of like a young girl who is out in the wilderness on her own? Or is something kind of weird happening here? And the game isn't going to tell you one way or another 
uh, yes or no, but I, uh, but I do like that there's a little bit of that in there. Like you can feel a little bit of like folklore kind of seeping into it without it feeling like, oh, hey, we're going to be some kind of supernatural story with like, you know, whatever, witches and zombies and ghosts, you know. A Highland song too, the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's a cool game. I, I am really, um, really impressed by it. It's one of those experiences that like, again, I think some people will boot it up and have like a sort of, you know, the, the game is going to put up resistance. You're not just going to carve your way through this and no, nail it I, on your first try. <laughs> I had to learn that the hard way quite a bit because I, you know, I went through a, uh, I went through a couple of those rhythm sections and for the rhythm sections, I mean, yes, they're, they're, the rhythm section. So they're supposed to move along with the beat. So you cover a lot of ground in a fairly short amount of time. And, but the entire game is not like that remotely. So the pacing can feel really weird where for several minutes, you are just kind of gliding. You are just kind of knifing your way through the highlands. And then you have to stop and take your breath. There's actually admittedly a lot of that in the game, maybe too much. Uh, but then there are times when you actually have to stop and take shelter. And like, there are other times where you kind of have to backtrack because all of a sudden you realize this path is no longer going to be viable. So there, there's a lot of stuff going on. The pace can feel a little weird, but I think that's where Seth's comparison to death stranding comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like this is a game that demands that you play it, its way like this this game is going to put up a fight this game is not going to be like something else that you've played and i i think that's for the it's for the better i think there needs to be more games that just sort of are what they are um a game that is just sort of like un unflinchingly unique and is just sort of like hey like if you come into this with a sort of like reductive like you know, I'm going to play this for 10 minutes with furrowed brows, not like what I've played and put it down, then like, you're not going to have a good time. But if you meet the game where it's asking you to meet it, then you're going to find something really cool and unique. And you're going to learn something about a culture that you might not know a lot about. So, um, I think that's really cool. Another, I guess, little complaint that I would say, uh, I thought about this as you were talking about the rhythm sections. There are when you first start the rhythm sections, it's pretty straightforward. You're just kind of holding B to sprint and pressing the jump button. Later, they incorporate like some additional sort of button presses with some of the rhythm sections and like it kind of doesn't feel good. You kind of have to like pretzel hand the controller a little bit to like hit multiple buttons in addition to B to sprint. You, so, you, you only have to you only have to hit B to sprint. You don't have to hold it the whole time. Oh, really? I thought you had to yeah. hold it the whole time. No, okay. once you like once you start sprinting for those rhythm sections, it auto sprints the entire rest of the way. So oh, you, we'll so disregard can, then. <laughs> so I, I learned that very quickly because I started kind of doing that. And then my hand came off of the B button pretty early on into my first section, and I realized that the character was still sprinting. And so once you once you get into the rhythm sections, you don't actually have to hold the B button; it'll auto sprint uh, okay. for you, and, and you can focus on hitting the rhythm buttons. That's good to know, because, yeah, I definitely have played through the game a bunch just holding the B button <laughs> and, like, pretzeling my hand, hitting multiple other buttons. So that's good to know. Um, yeah, that would have been my only other, like, major, you know, uh, issue with it, but it sounds like that's not even an issue. So, I, you know, I really like this game a lot. Um, I do too, man. I, I, I think it has a – I think it's really special. I think it's unique, and I – it's one of those games where, like, it's – I'm just kind of glad that it exists, 
and I, I hope that more people feel encouraged to uh, to check it out. Yeah, a fun, really good-looking game with amazing music where you're carving your way through these Scottish highlands and you're hearing all these wonderfully told Scottish folk tales and you're running in to all these wonderful little discoveries and you don't know what you're going to come across at any given time. You've got this cool little journal that you're constantly filling out with little map pieces that you find with peaks that you visited and with little... Uh, oddities that you found along your way. It's just, it's it's a really, the different permutations, the number of times that you could play this game and probably have a unique experience, the number of times that you could play this game and probably still be running into stuff that you've never seen before. To have a game with a decent amount of variety that's not a life sim or has combat in 2023 is pretty rare. So I've got to commend Inkle and and the team over there for for putting together a really fun, nice little package that's under 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I would recommend y'all take a look at their other games too. Overboard, Heaven's Vault, and 80 Days are all available on Switch. And they they all have like a very um, you know, player choice driven emergent gameplay style, just like this does. They're they're a really cool independent developer. I, I really like them a lot. Absolutely. But if you guys decide to check out, uh, if you guys decide to check out a Highland song from Inkle Studios, again, it just released this past week on the Nintendo Switch. Go ahead and check it out. Let us know what you think of it. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join our amazing community over in the Discord. And let's talk about some Scottish Highlands. I'm not going to do the accent because I'm terrible at it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we, we don't need to do the accent, but what we what we should do, though, I mean, speaking of indie games sitting in this pocket a little bit, we uh, had an excellent sort of pre-Game Awards uh, treat uh, on Wednesday with Day of the Devs. I mean, we always look forward to Day oh, of the yes. Devs. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we find out about like Wholesome Direct or Day of the Devs, like those are dates that we pin on the calendar. Tim Schafer and I am 8-Bits kind of bi-yearly indie game extravaganza has been a really good place to discover and even find out more about some of the best upcoming indie games in the industry. And this past Wednesday's show was no exception. And we thought it was a great opportunity to count down our favorite announcements from the Game Awards edition of Day of the Devs this week in the top five. All right, Eric, so I know this is like kind of weird, but the, the top five Nintendo Switch announcements from Day of the Devs, what what are the rules? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It's a weird okay. one. So, yeah. <laughs> so the rules for this top five are, oddly enough, if you know the title didn't immediately give it away, we are counting down our favorite trailers, announcements, and game stuffs from this past Wednesday's Amazing Day of the Devs Game Awards edition. Uh, there was a lot, a lot of really cool stuff shown off. Uh, quick point of clarification, we are only figuring... Uh, we are only going to be shouting out games from the proper day of the devs broadcast proper. We won't be shouting out anything specifically that came during that like wholesome snack direct right. that immediately followed it. So l- quick point of clarification on that. All the games are going to be shouting out. were in the proper day of the devs broadcast, but that's not to say that there weren't plenty of games to be excited about there. 
Yeah, for sure. And th- it's also, you know, like these, we're, we're going to do two separate lists and, you know, our tastes are different. So they're not going to be exactly the same, but like there's probably going to be some sort of like overlap. I'm sure that things are going to be appearing on both lists, but they're going to be positioned differently or whatever. Um, and then like Wholesome Snack, I do just want to give them a quick shout out. Y'all should still check that out. Yeah. Um, it was cool. There was a lot of good, you know, sort of uh, Nintendo Switch related stuff, but a lot of like known quantity stuff. Not a ton of like new uh, announcements there, so but I still recommend giving it a look. They they always do a, a great job as well. Um, but yeah, without any further ado, to get into my list, uh, my number five this is a weird one because it technically is not uh, explicitly confirmed for Switch. I'll just say if this were explicitly confirmed for Switch, this would be my number one. Um, but since it is only vaguely confirmed for PC and console release next year, my number five had to be The Mermaid's Tongue. Um, I am so excited for this. Um, <laughs> this is the follow-up to Tangle Tower, uh, which came out sort of early in the Switch's life. Um, this is made by, if, if y'all are aware of the Switch launch title, Snipper Clips, SFB Games, um, same developer. Uh, they have this uh, series they call the Detective Grimoire series. That's the, the main character, Detective Grimoire. And um, it is a sort of like murder mystery point and click adventure series. You're kind of in like your Ace Attorney, Professor Layton sort of element there. Um, and to be honest with you, I had zero expectation that they were ever going to do another one. I mean, Tangle Tower came out over four years ago at this point. Um, so I had no clue that we were going to get a follow-up to it. And sure enough, it was revealed here. It's coming next year for again, quote, PC and consoles. And it looks like more of what you want, um, from this series, the great art direction, the great puzzles, the great, you know, voice acting and performances. Um, yeah, I, I cannot wait for this again. If they had a Nintendo switch logo in this trailer, it would be my number one. I'm very, very hyped. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really familiar with with Tangle Tower, but I looked it up and sure enough, just like this game, it definitely gave me like some latent vibes, but it 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 certainly looks like it's doing its own thing. It looks like it has really fun, really over the top performances. The uh, the art style looks almost something like a goth Steven Universe almost. I don't know, but it, it looks like it's a lot of fun. And uh, Tangle Tower, again, came out on the Switch years ago. So we basically expect this one to drop on Nintendo's hybrid platform as well. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Yeah, I'd be shocked. Yeah. If it didn't. And, and, you know, I would love to tell y'all to go ahead and pick up Tangle Tower on Switch right now. I, I'm just going to be honest. It goes on sale a lot on Switch. It is not currently on sale, but wishlist it. And when you see it go on sale, grab it. It's it's excellent. There's also a demo for Tangle Tower. Um, really, really good. If you like sort of murder mystery detective games like I do, go for it. I mean, just just pick it up. Really good. Um, my number four uh, is actually the new game. We, we came into this knowing that we are going to get a new entry in um, Digital Eclipse's Gold Master series revealed. We got the making of Karateka earlier this year. And sure enough, the new one coming uh, early 2024 is Llamasoft, the Jeff, Min- uh, Jeff Minter story. Uh, and that's got to be my number four. What a cool 
announcement this was. I mean, we're huge fans of Digital Eclipse here. Yeah. Um, the and when it comes to you know the sort of documentary style work, the video game preservation work they do um, for video game history, like it, they really are second to none um, in this field. And to be honest with you, the making of Karateka really cool, great project. Eric made a video on the YouTube channel if you want to take a look. I did, yeah. Uh, if you want to take a look at that, it's really cool and a really good celebration of Jordan Mackner. But yeah. But, but this one. <laughs> well, this one, like, I, I honestly thought that we were going to kind of, like, tackle more, I guess, individual games with these. I thought they were going to be I taking a look at sort of like, yeah, like like they did with Karateka. I thought, you know, the, the next thing was going to be more of, like, a singularly focused. So to... The making of Tempest. Or, yeah. yeah. So, like, to study a person like Jeff Minter, um, who made a lot of, like, really weird you know, games and has, and has been in the game for, you know, decades and decades. And, you know, to have like all of this stuff kind of compiled and like, again, that documentary style, the digital eclipse is sort of pioneered now this interactive documentary. Uh, this is going to be so cool, man. I can't wait for this. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't checked out Atari 50, it's been a really good week for digital eclipse and, and Atari. They just released 12 more games for that collection. And then we just got the announcement of this. Apparently this collection is going to have 42 separate playable titles on it. So even if you're somebody who's more interested in the interactive, more interested in the interactive than the documentary, there's going to be plenty of content here for you to sink your teeth into. But I mean, we may be talking a little bit more about this soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going into my number three, uh, we did independently confirm that this is coming to Switch. Uh, my number three is Dome King Cabbage, which, you know, we saw a lot of weird kind of trippy games during Day of the Devs. This dude, this has the crown. This is the the Dome King of that sort of trippy, <laughs> you know, thing. <laughs> Looks crazy. Man, there were... There was some weird, weird stuff shown off. There was that uh, uh, a couple different uh, games that really use these bright, vibrant, neon, almost black light style colors against stark black backgrounds. Um, you know, there was that was it Unova or uh, that Metroidvania. You know oh, what yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah, so, like Euros or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there was that one. There was that weird thing with the the nice little Slenderman detective. But uh, unfortunately, neither of those as of right now have been confirmed for the Switch. But you want to talk about weirdness. This one absolutely takes the cake. I have no clue what's going on with this game. It was described as a visual novel. We did see little kind of top-down... Uh, jrpg-esque looking quick little gameplay clips but other than that the the description of this game's trailer almost defies explanation the the random and obscure and just surreal imagery that was constantly coming at you it was just absolutely mind-boggling I really liked so this game's made by a solo developer um named Kobe Soft Joe and I really liked the way that they described like the process of making the game and sort of the state of their life that this game sort of was bred out of and what about um, the state of their mind 
Well, yeah. I mean, like they, they talked about working as like a teacher and just being so stressed out and just sort of like having to, you know, go somewhere away from everything and mentally decompress. And they would just come up with these, you know, sequences for the game that they're working on. Um, I can't wait to see just like th- this game is so just like uncompromised, like whatever this weird vision is, it is an uncompromised vision. Um, and I can't wait to just see everything that is crammed into this weird little game. The, um, the, yeah. the, the best thing that I can, the, the closest thing that I can really kind of compare it to, there have been times where, you know, as I'm trying to fall asleep, this, my stream of consciousness will like my mind will just kind of start doing its own thing. And the, the just kind of the random places that my mind will go to and the almost random geometrical kind of surreal imagery that just pops into my head for no reason when I'm halfway between awake and sleep. This honestly, this game may honestly be the closest approximation to visualizing an actual human dream that I've ever seen. He also made a reference to the uh, tighten up the graphics on level three uh, commercial from Westwood College. And immediately I was like, I love this person. Um, so <laughs> I I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see what's going on with Dome King Cabbage. But going into my number two, uh, this was one that when we saw it, I was frankly surprised to see a switch logo attached to it. My number two is Holston, which yeah. is this like pixel art yeah it was funny i was texting um a friend about this as the as the presentation was going and i was like wow they really made super paper resident evil like where the whole sort of gimmick of this is it's like a top-down gorgeous pixel art resident evil style psychological survivor horror game set in like 90s poland um but the the kind of like interesting uh gameplay hook of this is you have complete camera control but also when you go into like to to actually like shoot your gun, you go into a third person over the shoulder view and you can look at the world in full 3D seamlessly, kind of like in Super Paper Mario, like the, the perspective shift you can do in that game. And it's such a cool effect, man. Yeah. Like, this game looks awesome. Because there's no cut whatsoever. It just takes you from that isometric viewpoint. It immediately zooms in. There's no cut. There's no, you know, fade to black. There's no Mm -hmm. nothing. It does a very quick, seamless, buttery smooth zoom in from the isometric viewpoint to right over the shoulder and brings you right on top of the action. It looks so cool, man. It looks really good. Really, really neat sort of like uh, proof of concept there. It, it looks it looks great. There's a demo on Steam, and uh, I think I'm going to have to check it out. Um, yeah. But to get into my number one, this is one that I have like a, a personal stake in. I, I, there, there was a long period of time where I didn't think this game was going to be coming out at all. Um, but lo and behold, not only is it coming out, but it's one of the few games... Uh, for this that we actually ended up getting a release date for, which was also nice. My number one is Open Roads, uh, which is coming February 22nd, so just a a few months and change uh, away uh, from Annapurna. And the story behind this game is, you know, they announced this years ago, three, four maybe even years ago. Um, And it was being developed by Fulbright, who is best known for Gone Home and Tacoma. This was like their next big project. It had some pretty, you know, 
A-list talent uh, associated with it. This new trailer actually was opened by Carrie Russell, uh, who plays the mom in the game. Uh, the concept of the game is it's like a road trip sort of adventure game uh, starring uh, Carrie Russell as the mom and Caitlin Dever as her daughter. Um, and Fulbright was working on it. A year or two ago, there was a, a lot of drama going on with the Fulbright uh, CEO, Steve Gaynor, who has since removed himself from the project. And now it is no longer under the Fulbright banner. It is now being the, the development team is called the Open Roads team. Um, so, you know, th this game has been through the ringer um, over the years of its development. And after the stuff that happened with Steve Gaynor happened, I wasn't a hundred percent confident it was going to come out at all. So, you know, for better or for worse, I can't wait to see what their next game is. I can't wait to see like what the sort of final product of open roads is. And I'm thrilled that this was also a confirmation of the game coming to switch. Um, so yeah, February 22nd, I am, I'm very excited to finally see the finished product of these people who have, for the past several years, put their blood, sweat, and tears into it. Yeah. Admittedly, this wasn't nearly as deep on my radar as it was, Seth. So when I saw Carrie Russell pop up, I'm like, why is Felicity in this? What, is, <laughs> what does she have to do with this? But then they showed it off and it, you know, it looks kind of interesting. It kind of almost looks like Road 96 uh, a little bit. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't really know too much about it. All I just know is how excited Seth is for it. And heck, that may get me to check it out alone. I just, I, I love, you know, this developer's pedigree. I love, you know, the, the sort of concept of it, this mother daughter story. I love the visual style. Um, you know, how like the, the actual two main characters are kind of like these hand drawn looking characters against like a more photo real background. I think it's really striking. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait for that. I mean, Carrie Russell, Caitlin Dever, um, you know, the great, talent uh both of them supremely talented so really looking forward to this um yeah. it's actually kind of funny caitlin dever who has kind of like i don't know how long ago they uh they recorded i imagine they recorded for this quite some time ago and caitlin dever's stock has gone up quite a lot uh <laughs> since uh since i'm sure they you know they they recorded this between stuff like book smart no one will save you and now she's uh, most recently rumored to be uh, playing Abby in season two of The Last of Us show. Um, so I imagine her her stock has gone up quite a bit since she recorded this role. So really cool. Really looking forward to it. Well, that's that's just kind of the way things go. Sometimes you have a member of a production that winds up becoming the center of a controversy. And sometimes you wind up having a member of the production that winds up going on to even bigger and better things, thus retroactively shining an even bigger light on your projects. So, and this project has had both. Exactly. So yeah, you know, just, just everything, you know, and again, a lot of emotions coming into it, a lot of personal stake that I have in Fulbright and their games, it, it kind of had to be my number one, but, yeah. um, but what are your, yeah. uh, what, what was your whole list, Seth? Go take us back over your whole list. Going through the list one more time. My number five was the mermaid's tongue. My number four was llama soft, the Jeff Minter story. My number three was dome King cabbage. My number two was Holston and my number one was open roads. And uh, going into my list, going into my number five, we're actually going to begin at the end. 
my number five is the mind-blowing announcement of the brand new Vampire Survivors Cross Among Us DLC coming to Vampire Survivors uh, December 18th for uh, other platforms, although it is coming to Switch, quote-unquote, soon. It will be dropping on other platforms December 18th, but... They were they kind of pulled a little bit of a fake out at the end of Day of the Devs because they showed several people all saying, you know, thank you for hanging out with us and kind of saying their goodbyes and, and wrapping up fairly succinctly. They went through quite a bit of this before all of a sudden I was like, yeah, actually, you know what? No, we've got one more thing to show off. And I was like, oh, you got me. OK, you got me. And then this animated trailer breaks in, which honestly, for the first 20 or so seconds I thought was a new trailer for Hades 2. Mm, okay. It was this, uh, it was animated in kind of a similar way, but I see, you know, these characters and what seems to be a dungeon esque kind of setting, uh, you know, animated almost like some new Netflix show or something with a little bit more over the top proportions, all of a sudden fighting these weird demonic creatures this weird, you know, uh, woman shows up with a bunch of guns and she's firing them off. And this weird Simon Belmont looking dude shows up and he's throwing knives. And, and I was like, what in the world is this? I actually didn't know what it was. And then all of a sudden the crewmates from Among Us pop in and like, I'm just barfing rainbows at this point. I'm like, what am I even looking at? What are my eyes signaling to my brain at this point? But sure enough, at the end, they reveal that the characters are from Vampire Survivors. And this entire trailer has just been to announce a brand new crossover between the two internet darling franchises with new characters, content, weapons. The the actual Among Us crewmates are coming to Vampire Survivors as playable characters. And it's it is such a bonkers insane crossover that still makes perfect sense. I just, I cannot wait to see what happens. There's a ton of brand new vampire survivors content that's been coming out recently. There's, you know, you got uh, the new whiteout map and this new adventure mode that they're talking about. There's a ton of stuff. It just seems like vampire survivors is only picking up more steam at this point. And especially if this is a sign of things to come, I'm all for it. They they might turn Vampire Survivors into the next Dead Cells in terms of crossovers and in terms of cross promotion. I'm here for it, but the, this this absolutely blew my stupid little mind at the end, so I had to put it on my list. Yeah, it, it's funny. The, the thing that I like most about this announcement um, is that, like, you know, was it last year or something when Fortnite just ripped off Among Us? Maybe it was a year or two ago at this point. Yeah. Um, they With were very publicly, intruder mode or something. Yeah. Yeah. They were very publicly like, you know, hey, um, you know, we would love to collaborate with people. We're always open yeah. to collab. So it's cool to sort of see Among Us collabing with uh with so many people and to have another sort of like indie success story like Vampire Survivors collabing with Among Us. It, it makes a lot of weird perfect sense. Yeah. 
even if this is paid DLC, which we haven't seen for Vampire Survivors yet. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm still, I'm down. I'm down day one. This looks so bonkers and so fun and so stupid. They, we only got to see a few brief glimpses of gameplay, but it included, uh, you know, as you might expect, it included some of the crewmates from Among Us doing these screen wiping, redonkulous attacks. And it just looks, it looks like exactly what fans of Vampire Survivors might want from a crossover like this. So I'm there day one. Looks like a ton of fun. Uh, but going into my number four, I didn't think this was coming to switch. I really didn't, but I am actually pretty hype for this new racing RPG called resistor. Oh yeah. That did look cool. So I, I don't, <laughs> this is probably going to be a deep cut for a lot of people, but there was this, uh, like weird anime series, like uh, Obon Star Racers or something from several years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this weird buried memory back in, in the deep recesses of my mind. But I was watching this game and all of a sudden I remembered this bizarre old racing anime show that I used to love. And there was very much a flash in the pan. I watched the entire thing, loved it. And then like, I never saw anybody talk about it again, but it, this kind of gave me like Disney Speedstorm vibes kind of gives me a little bit of ver- burnout vibes. It looks like there's a ton of really interesting, almost speed racer esque action going on. They showed very similar to like the speed racer movie. You can, I guess, kick flip your cars over each other there's a lot of different weird action death race stuff that you can do. And they showed off a ton of different customization options. But on top of that, you're also going to be able to explore around uh, as the racer and, you know, take on quests and do a whole bunch of other stuff. It's not just in the car gameplay. It looks like there's going to be a lot of really interesting stuff going on. The art style is kind of take it or leave it, I think, for some people. But for me, just because of what it reminded me of, made me want to play the game even more. And it's been a while since I've played, you know, outside of something like a kart racer. It's been a while since I've played a an arcade racing game like this, like a, like a burnout, like a split second. So uh, maybe this game is just coming around at the right time for me. Yeah, I, I think it looks cool. The only thing that gives me pause about is the character designs. I don't think I like them. Um, maybe they'll grow on me. I don't know, but I was surprised <laughs> that this is coming to Switch at all. We uh, we were able to go to P-Cube, the publisher's website, and it yep. is listed for Switch. So, yeah. Yeah. They didn't specifically shout that out. And again, this is... This is another weird problem. The fact that we have to independently verify that stuff is coming to Switch. If there's any developers out there listening to the sound of our voice right now, be a, be as upfront as you possibly can about the stuff that, about the platforms that you are planning to release on. Mm-hmm. Just the, this whole PC and consoles thing. If you have any idea about what your plan is, be as upfront with it as possible because we had to go through and figure out that several of these several of the games that we didn't think would be coming to Nintendo Switch are in fact, which all of a sudden allowed us to be excited about these games that we would have been more excited for in the moment had we known. 
So just just food for thought. But yes, Resistor, I'm super excited. Didn't think it was going to be coming to Switch, but it is. I mean, granted, after Arkham Knight's release, I am worried about a game that looks halfway decent running on the Nintendo Switch, but hopefully they'll be able to get it taken care of pretty well. Uh, But going into my number three, uh, I think this was your number three too, buddy. This Dome King Cabbage fever dream. Uh, I should have saved it for, for my... Uh, for my list, but yeah, that's still the best way that I can kind of describe it is the visuals and the surreal imagery that we saw from this game. It was just, it looked like an actual human dream given form and the, it was just hypnotic. That's really the best way I can put it. Everything that I was looking at, it was just, it, I was transfixed. I was trying to figure out what in the world I was even seeing, but something that unique, something that just visually creative just immediately drew me in. I don't know how much gameplay is going to be involved. Again, they called it a visual novel in uh, the trailer. And I don't even know, you know, when we're going to be getting it, but uh, it was certainly one of the most striking video game trailers that I've seen in a very long time. That combined with an absolutely ludicrous name like Dome King Cabbage <laughs> just makes me need to figure out what in the world or what in any world is even going on with this title. It, it just looks really like you just got to see the trailer, folks. There's n- there's no words. There are no human sounds that I can put into any string to create words and sentences that will ever adequately describe what this trailer. You just got to watch it for yourself, folks. Um, I would I would genuinely love to see like a psychiatrist or like a dream uh, analyst break down that trailer when it comes to imagery and surrealism. I'd love to see that type of just kind of analysis of that video game and figure out what in the world is going on in this guy's mind. Because if you were looking at the chat room for uh, everybody was just making drug references. That's all anybody was talking about in the chat room for that presentation. So annoying to me when people do that, man, I hate it when people just take like somebody's vision. That's like, weird or off-center what kind of drugs is he i'm like that's the least interesting thing you could possibly say it's just <laughs> I'm, I'm so sick of like the the verbal shorthand of like somebody makes weird or interesting thing therefore they must be on drugs come on man get, oh, get more cert- interesting thoughts than that oh there were certainly plenty of cringy trolls in the chat as there as there always are many many cringy trolls in the chat uh but yeah dome king cabbage it's certainly going to be a name I'm going to remember, but yeah, very much looking forward to seeing that when that comes out. But going into my number two, you had it at number four. I put it at number two. This is where I put the story of the drama llama, llama <laughs> mean the story of drama interactive or the llama. And the, the, yeah, the, yeah, that llama soft. thing. Yeah. Llama soft. The, uh, the next entry in Digital Eclipse's amazing Gold Master series, I mean, just look at 
what Digital Eclipse has done over the past year. We gave them a golden ace for their work on Atari 50 last year. They, like I said, just added even more content to it this year. The amazing making of Karateka earlier in 2023. They announced that they were going to be uh, announcing, they announced that they were going to be announcing the next entry into their Gold Master series at this event. And it immediately became one of the most excited things that I was looking forward to seeing at this. And sure enough, they did not disappoint. Even if you don't know the story, or even if you are completely unfamiliar with the game's uh, Digital Eclipse's approach to celebrating this type of content is always going to be something that I'm going to be drawn to. And especially when they're doing it with such a weird, cool, decades-long story as this. And I, I haven't had the ability to play most of these games. Uh, there's even going to be demos from uh, from platforms that were never even released and I, I think in addition to the 42 titles they comprise like eight different video game platforms so seeing just kind of that history and seeing the march from you know the the late 80s to now and seeing the evolution of these weird bizarre wonderful games many of them including shoot 'em up elements with farm animals going on like camels and and llamas shooting down asteroids and and aliens i mean it surprises me that like the Dome King devs are not working on this because I think that would be a match made in heaven. But uh, this is just another awesome story, another probable home run for, for Digital Eclipse. I cannot wait. Yeah, bring it on. Love to see more like kind of esoteric stuff like this from them. It's cool that, you know, that again, they're not just, you know, kind of tackling classic games they're also kind of you know spotlighting classic and you know legendary developers so really neat oh yeah absolutely uh but going into my number one man i've got to admit there's just there was something about there was just something about that norwegian survival horror game that just looked amazing. It was one of the most interesting looking gameplay trailers I've seen for a game in a very, very long time. And I just, I immediately needed to play it. I just absolutely needed to check and see what that game was about. So um, just the, 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 the fact that it's not just isometric, the fact that you can, uh, like you have full camera control. It's not just a fixed isometric uh, viewpoint. You can turn the camera around and look at uh, rooms. You can look at environments from any angle. But then, of course, you've still got, you know, your monsters. Your, I don't know if they're just going to be zombies. But the fact that you can get just right down on the action and the way that they're somehow making it feel like those old games, despite looking like a more modern to like a Signalis almost type of game mm-hmm. uh, with much more kind of modern crunchy visuals and not your classic style pixel art. Really? There's this weird kind of blocky, almost aesthetic that's starting to gain popularity in the indie space that I really like. It's not quite 3d pixel art, but there's this kind of crunchy blocky, retro look to it that I'm just incredibly drawn to. And it looks 
uh, like even just from the gameplay footage, it uh, there's something about that that just looks like it controls tightly. I don't know if it was, again, just kind of the buttery smooth transition of the camera going from the isometric viewpoint to over the shoulder. The fact that the game allows you to target the different limbs of these monsters, of these zombies, a la something like Dead Space. Uh, but yeah, it just it looks absolutely amazing. I honestly haven't been this excited for a survival horror game in a very, very long time. Yeah, I'm going to be curious to, to know like how big a role that... Uh like limb targeting and stuff is going to be. I love that in dead space. I'm going to be really curious to see if that plays a, a significant role in the, in the gameplay. Cause we did just kind of see like, um, you know, some kind of standard, like, you know, shooting at them. And yeah. like, it, it seemed like, you know, like they, they would react to where you're shooting, but I don't know how much actual gameplay difference it makes. I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see, to see that. I am too. Uh, I can't wait to see more about this game. We just kind of saw a character run around a few maps. We didn't get a sense for necessarily kind of the scope of the game, how long it's going to be, or, you know, too, too much about the narrative itself, but just from what we've seen and how polished the game already looks, it's it's gotten me incredibly, incredibly excited. It's it's somehow found a way to take a bunch of aspects of classic survival horror games and blend them in a way that makes it feel completely new looking in. Like I say, you've got the over-the-shoulder camera shooting that you know immediately made me, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, remember Resident Evil 4. It's got the uh, the limb shooting thing that I've already compared to Dead Space. It's got the, the isometric viewpoint of a lot of kind of classic survival horror games from the 16 and, and 32-bit eras. But the way it's really combining everything together just feels like... It just feels like the peanut butter and chocolate of the indie horror scene coming up for 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it makes it in time to where we can, you know, cover it next year for spooky season. So oh, here's, oh. here's hoping it'll be a, it'll yes, be a great, great spooky season game. But uh, yeah, run down your list for the folks one more time, my friend. Yes. My number five is Vampire Survivors Cross Among Us with the wonderfully named Emergency Meeting DLC. Uh, my number four is, of course, the wonderfully-looking Resistor. My number three, just like you, my friend, is Dome King Cabbage. My number two is Llamasoft, the Gold Master Series number two from Digital Clips, and my number one, Holston. Yeah, really good stuff. I guess we don't really have honorable mentions as much as like we could just talk about some of the other Switch announcements. We've covered the vast majority of... Yeah. Uh, of the announcements between our two lists, but were there any other things you wanted to kind of shout out? Well, obviously we did get another look at the braid anniversary edition that was coming yeah. out. Weirdly enough, they didn't even bring up the fact that it was coming to switch, but we yeah. do have a, we, we do have a date for that already. It's August 30th next year, April 30th. Yeah. Or, uh, yes. April 30th. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we got to see some stuff on that. There was uh, that weird animated game, like, thank goodness you're here, 
We yeah. get to see, I think we saw that at uh, the last Indie World or the last Day of the Devs or the last Wholesome. We've seen it previously, but they, it showed up again here. Yeah, I, that that looks really fun. I'm I'm really into that. Um, that that has been confirmed for Switch for a while, and we just got kind of a new you know trailer for it. Um, yep. Continues to look fun and funny. Um, in terms of like the confirmed Switch stuff, that's like kind of it. We we've covered like the vast majority of the stuff that's been actually confirmed for Switch. There is obviously. You know, my if, if we if we weren't talking about games that were just confirmed for Switch, like I'd be talking about Kind Words Two, my most anticipated, you know, yeah. game of uh, next year probably at this yeah. point. Um, I probably but, yeah. would have had Flock on my top five if that had been even even remotely confirmed to be coming to Switch, but yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, some cool, really cool stuff. Um, definitely worth the watch. Uh, there's also some stuff like it wasn't explicitly confirmed for consoles, but like loose leaf is probably going to come to switch. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. It um, does look pretty cool. The, the mix of yeah. the, the tea making and, and the tarot does look, does look pretty fun. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If we got drag her that drag yeah. race fighting game, uh, which I, I didn't even know this. Seth had to tell me those are apparently real, real yeah. life personalities that show up in that game. So uh, I, I hope that turns out to be a decent fighting game, but, uh, there's, there was a lot of really cool stuff shown off here at this, uh, at this showcase at this day of the devs. Yeah. The sequel to, uh, Genesis Noir is, uh, got, got announced, um, which is neat. That game is also on switch. So I'd be surprised if Nirvana Noir doesn't, doesn't come to switch. So We'll see. Yeah, some really cool stuff. It's it's always worth a watch. Check out Day of the Devs, the Game Awards edition. Check out the wholesome snack, you know, that they did as well. Um, these people always put on really good shows. And, you know, if you're indie game fans like us, uh, you, you know, definitely should have this stuff on your radar. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, uh, probably a lot of cult classics here. I could definitely see... Uh, uh, open roads becoming a cult classic in, in the interview. And maybe, you know, we'll look back 20 years from now as it being one of the legendary independent games that has gone on to influence generations of young developers. But, you know, you, you never kind of know when games come out, what type of legacy they're going to have. And I think the same could have easily been said for a little game that now came out 20 years Ago, a little game called Beyond Good and Evil. It had a bizarre official announcement last week, although it wouldn't have surprised me at all if it was originally intended to be a world premiere reveal here this past week at the Game Awards. And turns out, I mean, the reason they're doing a 25th anniversary remaster is because the game turns 20 this weekend, folks. Yeah. Yeah, the game turns 20 on Sunday, and I mean, this is a, you know, this is a, a great game. This is a, you know, personal favorite of mine, so it definitely deserved, uh, here in celebration for its 20th anniversary, the full all-in retrospective treatment, taking us back to the GameCube. Let's look back at 20 years of Beyond Good and Evil.
So, Beyond Good and Evil released here in North America on December 10th, 2003. Uh, so as of, you know, tomorrow, when this episode goes live, uh, <laughs> 20 years ago, 20 years of Beyond Good and Evil. This is a special game. It was developed uh, by Ubisoft, specifically uh, Ubisoft Montpellier. Um, and they had like a, you know, a bunch of subsidiaries that helped with it too, but, you know, kind of was headed up. This was Michelle Ansel's team yep. um, at Ubisoft. And this was, uh, this is a really interesting game. I'm excited to talk about it. It's got an interesting development story, but like the game itself um, is also really interesting. I will say before we even get into it, I'm not going to overtly spoil anything about this game because, you know, a lot of times the statute of limitations on talking about a, you know, 20 year old game, it's like kind of fine. But because we know that there is a re-release coming for this next year, um, there are people that are going to be listening to this that have not played the game and are going to be playing the game with the re-release for the first time. And I don't want to spoil the game for those people. So there's, there's people doing a retrospective right now on this game that haven't played this game. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that you didn't get the opportunity to to play this one, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm so excited about the the re release of this game. I was actually really excited about Beyond Good and Evil Two when they initially revealed it, like back in 2016 or something. I was super excited for it, but it's been MIA for so long. It's a game that I never got the ability to properly play, even though the GameCube wasn't the only thing it released. You know, thankfully, uh, Ubisoft also decided to throw PlayStation a bone because they knew the GameCube was going to be the superior version anyway. They released it on PlayStation a month prior just to try to bump those sales numbers a little bit. But I was really concerned last week when that weird pre-alpha or launch version yeah. kind of leaked and all of a sudden people on Steam were taken to Twitter and talking about how much of a massive disappointment it was. And I was trying to figure out like what's going on. We didn't even get a release date for this thing. How are people already playing the full version? But then, of course, in the fallout of that, Ubisoft came out and said, no, 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 no. We don't know how that happened. There's an actual... 20th anniversary proper remaster in the works. Don't worry. That's some weird version that was never meant to see the light of day. And I was like, okay, good. I'm excited to go back to this. I'm excited to play this again because we've already had a lot of very good remasters and re-releases come out this year. Not saying that I feel like the code has kind of been cracked. I'm not saying that it's possible for bad remasters to come out in the future, but I'd like to think with all the lessons learned at this point that especially knowing that this is a game worth celebrating, that Ubisoft is going to do everything they need to do to make sure that this new 20th anniversary remaster, that this new release is worthy of the the kind of I don't want to say cult status, but it's kind of a low key legendary title at this point. I feel like that's fair to say. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that, and, and it's interesting because Beyond Good and Evil, when it came out, did not do well um, for... No, it didn't. <laughs> it sold like garbage. Yeah, for and there are a lot of reasons uh, for, for this. The, the biggest one is because of uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time coming out just right before. Y'all remember, we did a retrospective on Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time this year as well, um, mm -hmm. which is another very prolific 
Ubisoft game that came out just like a couple of months before then. And that's where a lot of Ubisoft's marketing budget that year went. And for good reason. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time is an all-timer. It's a, you know, a wonderful classic and Ubisoft knew what they had there. Um, so you can't blame It was also them. an established IP. Right. Like people knew what the Prince of Persia, like it already had, you know, an established, granted, yes, this was a completely different iteration of the game, but it was still a name that people recognized. Uh, you can, you know, we can go back and forth about how much that actually bumped the numbers, but I mean, regardless, it did bump them at least a little bit. That was a bump, unfortunately, not felt by Beyond Good and Evil. Right. Now, with that being said, it's not all doomed. Like the reason that Beyond Good and Evil exists at all is because Mm -hmm. of Michelle Ansel, who, um, was well known at Ubisoft by the time this game came out. He's one of Ubisoft or was one of Ubisoft's like earliest hires. He started working at Ubisoft when he was 17 years old and he is the creator of the Rayman series. Um, he created in that era, that sort of early era of Ubisoft, he created their most iconic character of that time. He created basically Ubisoft's Mario, (laughs) you know, at that time. So, after he's making Rayman and Rayman 2, The Great Escape, um, he's sort of looking to, at, at that point in his career, he's still young and he doesn't want to just be the Rayman guy for the rest of his life. And because he has so much cachet at Ubisoft, he goes to Izgumo, who is still, you know, one of the, the heads at Ubisoft, um, at the time a producer at Ubisoft. And he approaches him and he says, hey, I've got this weird idea for the thing I want to do next, actually inspired by a glitch that they encountered when developing uh, Rayman. You could, uh, with Rayman 2 The Great Escape, uh, there was a glitch that they encountered in playtesting where you could like control one of the the ships early and go out of bounds with it. And the playtesters were kind of having fun just like going around the open ocean and just sort of like exploring, even though there was nothing out there. And they're like, cool, well, we need to patch this out. This isn't part of the game. But wouldn't it be cool if you could do a game like this? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could make this? And that was where the seed of Beyond Good and Evil was planted in Michelle Ansel's head. And there was all of this sort of like want within him to move away from being the Rayman guy. And to Ubisoft's credit, they were like, hey, yeah, like we recognize you and your vision and your talent. Go do the thing. And go forth and do great things, my son. Yeah. Like, or, or saying that in French, whatever the French version, <laughs> whatever of that the, is. yeah, whatever the French version is. Um, Michelle Ansel's a really interesting, uh, dude, uh, in, in general. Um, and he, uh, you know, there's been a lot of like stuff said about him, about like his leadership yep. style and stuff like that. We don't need to get into that. Um, and he's been kind of more or less retired from games for the past few years anyways. Um, so that's neither here nor there, but he, you know, whatever you might think about him, he is a very influential and legendary figure. Um, and he had big ideas coming into beyond good and evil. He wanted to make like this whole kind of like sci-fi universe with like multiple open worlds that you could like just, you know, hop into like a spaceship, go to another planet and blah, blah, blah. Now the technology at the time, this is 20 years ago, did not exist. So they couldn't make a game quite that big. 
but couldn't make Starfield. Couldn't make Starfield, but they they <laughs> did want to make you know something that was as big and interesting as they could. They ended up having to develop a brand new engine for Beyond Good and Evil, known as the Jade Engine, which is named after the protagonist of Beyond Good and Evil. Um, I actually thought it was the other way around. I thought they I thought they named the main character Jade because of the engine. I mean, whatever the case may be, they, they, you know, they shared the name. Um, I had heard that it was named after her specifically, but whatever the case may be, it doesn't really matter. It's named, say, I, yeah. I believe your source. I would just say that that was just always the impression that I had. It's just, you know, it, Jade is the name of both the engine and the protagonist of beyond good and evil. Um, and they, you know, the, the thing about the Jade engine in particular is like that would kind of become Ubisoft's working game engine for a little while. In fact, Prince of Persia, the sands of time is also built on the Jade engine. Um, the entire, that entire Prince of Persia trilogy would be built on the Jade engine. Um, Ubisoft Montpellier's next game after Beyond Good and Evil, which was the licensed King Kong game, which was a first person game would be built on the Jade engine. So, um, they, they created like a whole new engine for just this game and like some surrounding games in the mid two thousands, kind of like in this interesting period for Ubisoft, but Beyond Good and Evil was the impetus for all of that, which is kind of weird and interesting, again, considering that this game was sort of like the 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 one that took a long time to develop. Ubisoft kind of had to dump a lot of money into it. They were basically just banking on Michel Ancel and his team. And it came out and it didn't, you know, it didn't have a lot of marketing because all the marketing spend was going into Sands of Time. And it didn't do well. You know, it's a cult classic. People love it now. It's an amazing game. But yeah did not do well at the time whatsoever. So interesting stuff. And that's always got to be a weird thing for, for people. Sure. You know, you may create things that are beloved, but at the end of the day, you know, unless you're an independent developer, completely, uh, uh, completely uh, disconnected from any publisher or anything like that, you ultimately will answer to somebody for the commercial success of whatever it is you create, uh, you know, somebody like Gunpei Yokoi might have created uh, some of the most legendary hardware in the history of this company. However, he still had to answer for something that came out and didn't perform nearly as well as the company was hoping for. So even with decades of hindsight, yes, it's beloved. Yes, it's good. Uh, and yes, people look back on it fondly. But I'm sure there's still a big part of the leadership who was there at the time at Ubisoft that's thinking is like, that's all well and good, but where's the fuel for my G6? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's interesting, man. And you know, Beyond Good and Evil was definitely, you know, kind of kind of a victim of that. And it's also like another thing that didn't do Beyond Good and Evil any favors is that like because the game has got so many different sort of like elements to it, because mm-hmm. yeah, like it, it's an open world game. It's a sort of Zelda style dungeon sort of game. It's a stealth game. It's a photography game. Like yep. the, the game is kind of hard to like, to get people to understand what it is, you know? So well, like, it's not even from a mechanical standpoint. Like the game is just weird. Mm-hmm. Sure, the main character Jade is humanoid, even though she's a completely impossible mix of vocations. I mean, she's this journalist ninja, 
I mean, like, but even on top of that, all of a sudden you've got like this big anthropomorphic pig character. You've got all these weird, bizarre, completely non-human characters. A lot of people, a lot of people really didn't know how to take the game at all. So I do think that that was a big factor is especially when you're trying to establish a new IP, once people get their, their minds wrapped around the world and once you give them time to exist in this place you've created, cool, they can, they, they can get it. But it, Beyond Good and Evil was not an easy game to just jump into uh, blind. Yeah, not, not an easy one to like, you know, like because of that, they would show it off. Like they showed it off at E3 2002 and people didn't like it. People were like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know about this. They, um, you know, they, they spent a lot of time getting these systems here. They spent a lot of time on Jade, you know, who at the time, you know, there are not a lot of female protagonists in video games in 2003. Like not a lot at all. Um, <laughs> we had Samus and we had Chun-Li and we had, oh, that's the end of the list. Basically. Yeah. And, and I mean, much less female protagonists that are like well-written and well-designed and were not either, you know, the, the two sort of like classes of woman in video games was either like sexy, you know, warrior lady or like innocent damsel, damsel in distress. Exactly. Yeah. So like it, you know, because Jay didn't fit into either of those molds, um, that was also a thing. And they took a lot of care, um, you know, to, to design Jade, uh, that way it, they, you know, uh, Michelle Ansel's wife is credited with like sort of being the, uh, you know, the, the person to the, the sounding board for Jade's design. Like he would kind of showcase the design to her and she would kind of, you know, give him some notes and stuff. And, um, that's, that's always really cool whenever like, you know, some of the developers like work their wives into the process and stuff and get like a female perspective on a female character. Um, Another big thing with uh, with this game, and Michelle Ancel, actually, when he originally pitched it, and when they originally started designing the game, it wasn't even going to have any combat at all. He envisioned the game as having, like, zero combat. And Ubisoft was like, well, hang on. <laughs> like, you know. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's like, hang on a second. Like, you know, this is, I under, you're, you're Michelle Ancel, we love you, we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to do what you want to do, but there should be some combat in this video game. Um, and so because of that, Jade went from being just like, it was, it was going to be basically all puzzle, all stealth, all photography and yep. stuff like this. And now they're like, well, let's give her like a staff. Let's give her like a, you know, a bow staff basically. Um, Lois Lane is now a, is now a ninja. Sort of. Yeah. And like there's, you know, she gets a lot of like kind of parkour-esque like traversal abilities. She ends up getting yeah. some, like even some range, some very simple range weapons, but even then, um, the weapons that you get over the course of the game, it's a very small list. And like a lot of them are kind of like weird, like more defensive weapons than anything else. Like combat is not the focus of the game and you can tell. Um, I was about to say, yeah, you, you look at all the reviews of the game that came out in 2003. If there were people that had major issues with the game, very oftentimes the combat was cited as kind of one of the low points of the experience. Yeah, it, it, it was an afterthought and it feels like an afterthought. <laughs> so um, and that's and that's OK. Like, that's not really what what the game is about. The game also over the course of its development, like changed thematically quite a lot because of a lot of 
big things. Um, the design of the game was kind of like, and this is something that Michelle Ancel has been criticized for, is like he's the type of designer who he's directing a project, he's leading a project, it's going one way, and then he gets inspired, and then he's yeah. like, hang on, yep. we're, we're going this way now, right? So, like, Yeah, I heard that <laughs> uh, uh, apparently, uh, apparently he played Wind Waker, yeah. and that caused him to make some pretty sweeping changes to the game. Yep. Yep. Uh, Wind Waker had come out. He's playing Wind Waker and he he scaled back the uh, the sort of like open sections of the game to be a lot more manageable. He didn't like the long stretches of like sailing that you do in Wind Waker. He, sh- he should have played the remake. <laughs> yeah. You just got to put a fast sail on that bad boy and that's that's exactly. it. Uh, so like they, they wound up having to like retool the game quite a bit over development. The biggest thing story-wise that gave them a point of order, and this is one of the most interesting things about the game to me, was 9-11. Um, when exactly. Se- when September 11th happened... Um, you know, they, they, they were going a certain way with the game story. They had this kind of like world in place, but after nine 11 and specifically like a French outside perspective on nine 11, um, the game story went from being this kind of like operatic, you know, space opera, interesting sci-fi thing to being a real, like a story about like truth seeking and not believing everything the government tells you and sort of like fighting back against a world that like is kind of unfriendly to you and the people you love. Um, the, the title is, is kind of ambiguous beyond good and evil, but like one of the meanings that you could take away from it is like truth, you know, truth is, is not good or evil. It just is what it is. Um, and that's a huge theme of the game is kind of, uncovering the truth of the world around you, whether you think it's good or bad. Um, and that really like took shape as a response to nine 11 and what they and Montpellier were seeing from the, the outside looking in and kind of the like aftermath and the reactions to nine 11. And I think that is so interesting. Like the way this game was really shaped by those events, by people who were not, directly impacted by those events you know um it's a really if you if you look at the game through that lens it's quite fascinating to to see um so they they have a lot to say about that um the game story-wise the the setup of the story we've mentioned jade already um jade is this young woman who lives with her they say uncle uh you know this alien pig uncle named Paige. Uh, they live in, you know, on this uh, planet called Hillis and uh, it has this sort of like oppressive sort of alien force called the Doms, you know, kind of on the nose there, the Doms, the dominating force, the Doms. Um, (laughs) Jade's a sub. Yeah. And the Doms are the Doms. Um, And she, (laughs) she and Paige are taking care of the children that are orphaned by the invasion of the Doms. They live in this lighthouse um, and they're, you know, they're kind of taking care of these kids. Um, the events of the game, the, the doms like attack, uh, s- some of the like doms, like weird alien zombie creatures attack 
the uh, the lighthouse. They abduct some of the orphans and uh, the shield that they've been, you know, powering up to uh, to like protect their sort of hub um, was destroyed. They didn't have like the the power to keep it on. Um, so Jade ends up having to get a job. She ends up becoming an investigative journalist and gets roped into this thing called the Iris Network, which is trying to kind of learn the truth behind uh, behind the Doms and what's what's really going on. What what's really happening here? Um, and I won't say too much more about it than that. But that is the sort of story setup. Um, and from there, it becomes yeah, like on on one hand, an open world game that has side missions that has like if you if you think about like a jack 2 right like if you think about like a sort of contextualized smaller scope open world where you can go wherever you want and do whatever you want but it isn't like grand theft auto it isn't like i'm going to you know i'm going to get a rocket launcher and a jet pack and go cause mayhem as much as it is I'm going to hop on my hovercraft and explore this like city and, you know, take on like hovercraft races and do side missions for side characters and stuff. Um, while I'm trying to sort of like learn about the world around me. That's one of the aspects of the game. I will say, even though I haven't played the the game properly, I was exposed to the beginning quite a bit. And I will say that was something that even 20 years ago, uh, I, you know, some of the, the, the things that they throw in there, uh, like Jade helps orphans with an orphanage and all like, that's just incredible shorthands. Like we need people to like this girl immediately. She needs to be an instantly sure. likable protagonist. Let's just have her help orphans. And, you know, you want to talk about the truth and truth seeking and, and stuff like that. Having this or having it be at a lighthouse is like almost a, almost ridiculously on the nose in terms of metaphor, you know, lighthouse is a literal beacon, uh, a, a literal shelter from the storm. It's, you know, you can even look at it as uh, a light that shines. It is a, you know, a, a ray of truth almost. And even 20 years ago, I was like, that's, that's a little bit on the nose, Ubisoft, but you know what? I'll, I'll go with you on this. There's a lot of really good, yeah, thematic stuff in the game like that. And yeah, you're right. Like that's that's definitely uh intentional. Um even like the character of Jade because like yeah, they they do set up Jade as this sort of like altruistic, you know, good guy. Um again, I I'm not going to overtly spoil anything, but like the 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 character of Jade could also pass through that beyond good and evil title. Um and the the places that they go with the character Jade is not just a you know, altruistic orphan saving person, you know, they, they did not just make like the sort of Mary Sue character here that is just good hearted and good at everything, you know, like she goes places. Um, and she has depth, like a lot of really cool depth to her. And especially coming into like the ending sequences of the game, they do some really cool stuff with, with Jade as a character. And she winds up being one of the great female protagonists in video game history still to this day. Um, but yeah, like they, they, you know, they take you into this open world. They involve you with this kind of like conspiracy plot. They have you kind of like going out. You're wanting to take pictures. You wanted to learn about the doms. You're doing investigative journalism. You're also kind of as an aside cataloging species on Hillis, like taking like pictures of like the alien life, the flora and fauna and stuff, which is also kind of a fun little aside. There's like a decent like photography element to the game that is utilized in both the like sort of puzzle solving and dungeons and uh, open world exploration, which is neat. Um, but then like 
in addition to that, yeah, like you do have this kind of like Zelda structure, you know, you'll, you'll go into these things that kind of feel like Zelda dungeons a little bit. It never like stops and says it, but you can tell what the inspiration was. Um, and it's like these layered kind of like puzzle solving sections of the game where you might be infiltrating like a Dom's factory and trying to like, you know, figure out what's going on there. Or maybe you're trying to save a character who's been kidnapped and tortured by the Dom's or whatever, but they always have like a really kind of like, um, personal, like more intimate point of order in there. And they also do a really good job. And I think this was also a reaction to wind waker. Um, one of the most annoying things about Wind Waker to me, and I love that game. Don't get me wrong. Don't come yeah. at me. I, I, yeah. I love Wind Waker, right? Yeah. He was defending it on Twitter earlier this week. It was hilarious. Yeah. I love Wind Waker. Don't get me wrong. It's like one of my favorite <laughs> Zelda games. But, like, but the dungeons in Wind Waker, they love to do, like, escort missions with the dungeons in Wind Waker. They love to have you, like... If you remember, like, in Ocarina of Time, uh, is her name Prince Rudo or whatever? The one you have to, like, pick up in the water temple and Jabu Jabu's belly and, like, move around and stuff. Yeah. Um, they do that, like, several times in Wind Waker. Like, here's here's a character that you got to carry through a dungeon and manage. And they, they do that a lot in Wind Waker's dungeon uh, dungeon design. And it kind of sucks. Um, it's, it's fine. The game's great. But the dungeons are not what you're playing that game for. Um, as a... I, I would argue a reaction to that, uh, especially knowing that Michelle Ancel has like specifically called out Wind Waker uh, while playing this game. Um, a lot of the times you do have companions with you, whether it be Paige or this character Double H, who uh, who works for yeah. the, the Iris Network, who's this like yeah. sort of himbo energy ex soldier, <laughs> you know, guy. Um, really great character, but like they they have these kind of companion characters, but you don't have to babysit them. You don't have to like they're they're they feel like their own people. They feel like they're, they're useful and doing their own thing and genuinely helping you in this sort of like revolutionary cause, um, which is, which is like really nice. And what it allows is it allows you to feel a real attachment to those characters. I feel like in a way that you don't, if you have to actively babysit them, um, like you do in wind waker in this game, they, they feel organic. Like they feel like their own people that are outside of your direct involvement or control. You know, yeah. Um, when it comes to like cinematic adventure games and stuff like that, some of my favorite companions are people like Alex Vance, like people right. like Atreus in God of War. Those people that are like genuinely add to the game. You don't feel like you know they're a liability because when you do stuff like that, that's all you really see from that character is you see, you know, something that is completely worthless unless you are able to do something with it. You don't see somebody who can actually add or somebody who can help you. You don't see somebody who can add to the experience for you. And it really puts a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to like exactly what you're talking about with, uh, with the, the legend of Zelda or really any escort missions like RE4 is still an amazing game, but dear God, do I hate Ashley Graham? <laughs> well, that, that, that's the thing. This game does not want you to ever feel that way about not only playing it, but about the characters and about like the, the world, because like, because this game's core, like conceit, this game lives or dies on the attachment you feel to this world 
the people that live in it, the people that you love and care about and want to protect, and like the, yeah, the wildlife that lives on the world. If you don't care about the world, the game falls apart. And so, like, there's a lot of design consideration, I think, paid to that. And this was one of them. So big shout outs to them for kind of like realizing that even back then, that at no point did they want you to say, I hate that dude, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, I, I think they they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, but then like, in addition to it, there's, there's like some really sort of well done and good feeling like stealth gameplay. Like you really do feel like when you're going through a lot of these sections, you do feel like a boots on the ground journalist having to like sneak pictures you know, kind of like uh, eavesdropping on like covert meetings you're not supposed to hear and stuff like this. And you really do feel like they, they have managed to make a game that has like all of these different kind of like genres baked into it. And like all of them feel well considered and all of them make sense in a way that I think is really impressive. Like even when, you know, Jade is a character is, you know, upgrading her hovercraft, going on, like, these crazy, like, almost Star Wars-esque pod race, you know, moments <laughs> in the game. Like, it still feels thematically appropriate, even when you get towards the end of the game, when they do, and again, not trying to overtly spoil anything, but they do, there is a moment towards the end of the game where they flirt with a little bit of the original sort of design intent to go to other planets and stuff and have a little bit of like actual space combat, like in moments where even that is sort of touched on, like it all feels really cohesive. Like cohesive is the way that I would describe beyond good and evil, um, in, in many, many ways. So I just really love the way they handled all of that design wise and the way that they really got you to care about this world and its characters. And like to tell a story like this about what it is you're fighting for, what is the truth, what is being fed to you? Should you accept it or shouldn't you? And like, what is my place among all of it? Um, is really special. So yeah, Beyond Good and Evil has a has a lot to say, and um, and I really love it a lot for that. And I'm excited for people to get to play it for the first time. Um, I don't know how everything in the game holds up. It's been many years since I've played it, but the themes and like the you know the things that that game has to say, I think, are timeless. Well, I think if they're able to iron out the combat a little bit, you could make an argument that it's it's basically a you know a total package at that point. So I hope that they do that. I will say, I think one of the biggest things going against the game at that point is, again, going back to kind of the weirdness and going back to a lot of the, you know, going away from the combat. Of course, they wound up putting it in anyway, but it was always pretty clear, even, you know, for someone like me, that the combat was not the focus, that it was no. supposed to be more of a not necessarily even pacifist, but it was supposed to be much more of a, you know, much more of a photog, much more of a, you know, a puzzle style game that combined with an unfamiliar world with weird, bizarre looking characters. I think if, I think if an, a studio like Supergiant did something like that right now, I think a lot of people would be for it. But Beyond Good and Evil, I think at the time when it came out, it felt like it felt like an indie game trying to sit at 
the AAA games table. This was being put out by Ubisoft. So trying to put like a $60 full retail price tag on something like this was probably a lot harder sell because if you had a lot of interesting creative ideas and weird creative characters, typically with games like that these days, we see a $20 or a $30 price tag on it. And, you know, that's a much easier pill to swallow. It was like, yeah, sure. I'll take a chance on this. But you know, trying to pay full price $60 for something that is new, is different, looks weird, and doesn't have any type of prior track record. I can kind of see why it only sold like 70,000 copies total. Yeah. Yeah, really unfortunate, you know, but but I, again, it's not that I don't understand. Um, you yeah. know, it's, it's a weird game, but there, there's a reason that like the people who love this game really love this game. There's a reason it's sort of endured, you know, 20 years later. There's a reason why it's the kind of thing that's worth uh, doing a 20th anniversary re-release for. And there's a reason why um, the thing had a sequel, Greenlit, like you said, uh, a long time ago. I don't know that we're ever going to actually see Beyond Good and Evil 2. Um, it's, uh, it was announced in 2017 at Ubisoft's E3 conference. 2017, thank you. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Michelle Ancel was originally the director of it. It was meant to be a prequel, although we, you know, we saw leaks of it um, in the mid-2000s, like 2007, 2008. There was, like, leaked, uh, a leaked gameplay concept of Jade, like, running through this sort of, like, desert town street and doing parkour and stuff. Um, yeah. It apparently got reworked at a certain point in typical Michelle Ancel fashion um, to being something different than it was. And then they properly revealed it as a prequel, uh, like I said, in 2017. And like it's kind of been in limbo ever since Michelle Ancel uh, left the project uh you know, I think in 2020 officially, but like it was probably before then because he was already, uh, he also would like be the lead on Rayman origins. And, um, he also was like producer of Rayman legends. So like he probably was kind of actually bouncing off of beyond good and evil, even before it was publicized. Um, and the game has sort of just languished. We have not seen hide nor hair of it in a long time. Um, we have seen some gameplay like at, at past E3s, they have shown some stuff uh, of beyond good and evil too. And it looks crazy. Like it looks, it you does. know, like it looks like it is going for the, like the, the original vision of the game, this sort of like online connected shared universe with all this crazy, like art and architecture and like alien worlds. And yeah, doing the Starfield no man's sky thing where you go to all these other planets that have like crazy open worlds on them. They one E3. I remember they brought Joseph Gordon Levitt of all people on stage. And, um, his like his company was saying like, Hey, um, this game is so big and it has like so much art in it. Uh, my company is actually going to field art from the fans, from the people who want to submit their art and we'll put it in the game. And at that point, that was when I was like, Oh, this game's in trouble. <laughs> like if they're like, if they're trying to field like, you know, the community to put like their, their art and music in the game, things are probably not in a good way. Um, and I think that's the last time we actually properly saw Beyond Good and Evil 2 was whatever E3 that was, 2019 or 20 or something like that. Um, it's been silent really ever since. And I mean, look, currently 
Beyond Good and Evil's Twitter account is still saying Beyond Good and Evil 2. It's still, I know, it's so weird. <laughs> like, it is apparently still a thing, you know? But, like, I don't know, man. I, I truly don't know what's going on with it. Um, I don't have a lot of hope in that thing ever coming out. And if it does, I wonder if they're not going to just, like, completely scale the project back which would be a little bit poetic because that's sort of what they had to do with the first game too. Um, And maybe that would be a good thing to do at this point. Maybe at this point it's like, hey, let's just kind of, you know, work back from scratch and make something that is smaller scale, but something that we can actually release. Um, Yeah. So who knows? Who knows if or when we'll see Beyond Good and Evil 2 again, but it is nice that there is still a pulse on the series with the 20th anniversary release with the purported existence of the sequel and um <laughs> it's it's just a, a special game a special world and like it's it, it is worthy of talking about it's worthy of remembering yeah and i did want to ask you very quickly because you mm-hmm. are you know the music guy when i was looking into this game and doing research what they the the approach that they took to the soundtrack of this game did intrigue me apparently they specifically hired like a film yeah composer to come in, I guess his name is, I apologize if I mispronounce this, Christoph Eral. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, mm-hmm. Who was hired because of his background in film, but apparently they used like Arabic instruments and Bulgarian stuff and all of this, like a very, a very open world. I don't know if that's the right, but a very, you know, uh, one world approach yeah. to the music. It wasn't necessarily just like a single, like it's all jazz or all rock or something like that. It, it very weird, kind of like the 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 aesthetic and the world building approach. It seems like they took a lot of, I guess, non traditional would probably be the best way to sum it up approach to the music in this game. the The best thing that I could compare Beyond Good and Evil to tonally, both in terms of the music and like the tone of the world, is like the Fifth Element. Um, the this sort of like mishmash of cultures through like yeah. a sci fi lens. Um, there's a lot of that going on here. There is like one one of the things in the game is this. Um, it's the place where you are going to go to upgrade your hover, your hovercraft is called the Mamago Garage, and um, it's run by these like Jamaican rhino aliens. Uh, it's like it's a weird game, but like it has like all of this, and, and when you get there, like all of a sudden, it goes from you know playing whatever music it was playing when you're just like sailing the open ocean to this kind of like yeah reggae sort of track you know that has like it like the mama go garage has its own like theme song you know that'll kind of get stuck in your head and like yeah, there's a lot of like influence both in the art and design and yeah, the music that is kind of all over the place. It's a really cool, like unique vibe. Like it feels different. There's just something about French sci-fi, isn't there? Because mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the fifth element that's, you know, it's Luc Besson, yeah. that, that, the French filmmaker. It also kind of gives me the vibes. I'm uh, This is going to be an incredibly obscure reference, but there was an old French cartoon like Spartacus and the Sun Beneath the Sea yeah. that you know, kind of in vague terms reminded me of this game. Uh, So I don't know. It's just something about French sci-fi, man. It's just unique. I think that French, like 
French art, especially like modern French art, video games, movies, whatever, um, have a really great sense of like, and I don't know if this is like, um, if this is like the sense of like uh, post, you know, French Revolution sort of like thinking in French artwork or whatever. Um, but like it, they, they really have a sense of like taking in the world around them um, in a way that like feels very, yeah, unique to them. And I think that Ubisoft in particular has like, has always been pretty good about that. When you look at, I mean, that's the entire, that's what the Assassin's Creed franchise is predicated on, you know? Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely something to that. And, uh, yeah, I, I like that a lot about the sort of world of beyond good and evil as well. Even like in the footage that we've seen of, of beyond good and evil too, like, I remember one of like one of the the centerpieces of like there, there's like this giant like Vishnu esque statue um, that was in one of the like major cities that they showed off and like just you know there's a ton of like you know cultures that are sort of like meshed together and represented. It's it's funny we didn't like we didn't think about it in these terms when we were putting the thoughts of this episode together and what we wanted to cover, but maybe like the theme of this episode is like cultural representation in a way, <laughs> you know, um, That's fair. it's kind of interesting. Um, anyways, like yeah. In, in any case, beyond, beyond good and evil, man, it's a special game. Um, I hope y'all play it whenever we, uh, whenever we do get that, that 20th anniversary re-release, I hope everybody plays it. Cause it's, uh, it's worth it. Definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this. Uh, I really like this uh, quote from Eurogamer. Uh, from this day forth, Michel Ancel is no longer the creator of Rayman. From now on, he is the genius that brought us beyond good and evil. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah. I mean, it's the it's the best game that Michel Ancel you know ha- has made uh, in my yeah. opinion. So. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Won all, won all kinds of awards. Was uh, IGN uh, called it like the twelfth best game on the GameCube? Uh, and just, I mean, if you look up Wikipedia, you look at the awards and legacies. It's just you know a couple pages worth of of nominations and wins for this game. The GameCube version uh, won best story at IGN's awards, and it's all kinds of game of the uh, year nominations from two thousand three. So. Uh, it's the, the, the remaster certainly has a lot to live up to, but I'm incredibly excited to finally get my hands on it. But I know that Seth is the only one in our community who has played beyond good and evil. Let's get some beyond good and evil talk going on in the discord. Let us know if you've checked out this game. If you're excited for the remake, reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Again, join our discord. We'd love to have you over there. And, uh, you know, make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. As we talked about earlier on in this episode, a ton of uh, videos been going up. There's a video for a Highland song, a video for Born of Bread. There's a video for a ton of stuff. So go ahead and check out youtube.com slash all in podcast. But in addition to this show, in addition to the videos and everything else, we have our amazing patrons to thank whom we also make exclusive content for. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. Uh, head over there, check out what we got over there again, seven day free trial to the golden banana tier. So you don't have to take our word for it. You can check it out entirely for free and, uh, and you know, join their ranks, look at the exclusive content, support the show, throw a few bones our way. You can also pick up some merch bit.ly slash all in merch is the link for that. Uh, again, 
throw some bones our way and get yourself a cool shirt or a mug or a sticker. It is really cool. Yeah, we we uh, we really appreciate you for doing that. And if you don't have any bones to throw away, that's okay too. You can also support the show for free on your podcatcher of choice, leaving us a five star review, dropping some words, letting us know how much you love the show. Again, quick, easy, free way to uh, to support the show, help us climb the ranks. Uh, yeah, thanks for doing that. Yeah, and to everybody who has done one of those things, to anybody who has become one of our uh, elite crew of legendary patrons, to anybody who's dropped a review, who has dropped words, to anybody who's picked up a piece of our merch, anybody who's even shared our content across the internet, to all of you, we would like to extend a huge namaste. Namaste. Another one down. Fun episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a, a good fun. one. Yeah, good yeah. one this week. Go us. Good job us. <laughs> <laughs> Go us. Yeah, we've still got to tackle the game awards, but I was really happy to be able to 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 really flesh out and to really spotlight some stuff that happened over this past week that we wanted to make sure didn't fly under people's radar. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we uh, you know, we we are full steam ahead through through December coming into the holiday season, thinking about the game awards and stuff. So we still have got uh, plenty of games to play so that we can like kind of fully evaluate uh 2023 and and really properly, you know, uh award the deserving games that came out. And you know, 2023 is a daunting task. There were a lot of them. Dude, yes. Oh my lord. So yeah, that's a lot of work, guys. So actually, now that we think about it, I should probably get back to that. I've still got a lot of work to do before the end of the year. Twist my arm, I know. But uh, guys, thank you guys uh, so much for hanging out with us yet again. We'll see you right back here next Saturday for another brand new episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast. But until then, I have been your Super Mario World 2, Eric's Island. And I have been your in Seth's and time uh, the truth is out there folks take nothing at face value the truth <laughs> is beyond good and evil we'll see you next week we love you very much bye bye